Now, uh, help me out, Blaster. Transform and play something uh, nice. And now, a nice and nifty musical selection for easy listening. <laughs> Hold on to your dancing shoes and go, man, go! One shall stand, one shall fall. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to One Shall Stand, One Shall Fall, a Transformers TCG podcast broadcasting live from an underground bunker in the middle of the murky Midlands. I want to boot some Decepticon right in his turbocharger. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down, Cliff Jumper. Wow. Seriously, put that gun down. You're going to kill somebody in this studio. Goodness. Right. Anyway, I'm your uh, host, Lee, from Blue Top Productions. And uh, today I have a motley crew of people to talk everything about Transformers the TCG. That's right. The trading card game based on the cartoon from the 80s. This podcast will talk about news about the Transformers the TCG, new releases, deck profiles, and stuff that's happening in the community. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy. One shall stand, one shall fall. What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of One Shall Stand, One Shall Fall here on Bleat Up Productions. This is the one and only... That's right, Transformers TCG podcast in and on the airwaves and on the internet. I am your producer, Lee McAlpin, a.k.a. the man who somehow is still alive after... Well, what a, we've, we've had a, a couple of um, amazing weeks because, obviously, if you haven't listened to our last show, the turbo-revving old punks have dropped a set. I'm a part of that team. <laughs> And it, is, it has been nothing but kind words from people and some incredible announcements, which we're going to get to uh, in the not-too-distant future on this podcast. But before we get into that, I want to introduce my co-host, the man behind the Anajan Hustlers, Dave. How are you doing, Dave? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm good. It's, it's nice to be finished with phase one. It's kind of in, in, the, in the bag. It's out. Like you say, public response has been really good. Um, had our first gameplay video on the Hustlers with your baby Devastator. I know. I was very that that battle report. If you haven't seen it, the link is in the description. If you're watching this on YouTube, oh my gosh, Dave, what a game! I know. Like my, my my buddy Matt came over. He's he's recently got back in the into the game. Like because we're able to see him again and like play physically in the same room because he doesn't have the old webcam setup. So he came over and he he's. He was like, that Devastator is really, really good now. Like, without being oppressive, it's, it is strong. Um, but he did, he did take a game. He did it take did, a game. He did take a game or two. Go check it out, guys. I'm telling you now. We're not going to spoil the, the results, but it is a bit of a banger. But yeah, it was, no, it was really good and very, very positively received. Um, as of today, nearly 100 hits, which is... Um, really, really good for us, so I'm well pleased. And we've got more gameplay coming, so that's that's what's happening with me at the moment. And just having a bit of a rest and uh, planning for stuff like tonight. And we have got a very, very special guest today. We have got a fantastic guest. And you know what? 
I'll let you do the introduction, Dave, because I realise I always seem to introduce our guests. I'm going to let you take the reins on this one because I'm going to say you, you've had more of a hand in prepping this show more than me because I've... I can say I've either been lazy or dropped the ball. I don't know. Take it either or, or either <laughs> way. But I'll let you introduce our lovely guest uh, for this episode. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, th- this has been a long time coming. Um, me, me and our guest, we discussed this probably about four months ago. <laughs> we, we talked about um, the guest coming on. It's been a long day without you, my friend. So we tonight have a very special guest, and it is Carl from The Ark, a.k.a. Technomagus, um, who's come on tonight to, to chat all things Transformers, chat about a bit about The Ark and what's going on with that, and answer an absolute plethora of rules questions we've had submitted by our fan base. So welcome, Carl. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for the invite. Also, I'm astonished. You are one of the first person to actually pronounce my handle correctly. <laughs> wow. It's because we're British. We know how That's to pronounce it. We, we, we know how to speak the Queen's <laughs> English, thank you. <laughs> we do. We know how to speak the Queen. <laughs> you know. No, Carl, thank you for taking time out of your day uh, to be a part of this episode. Obviously, Dave has said, it's been in the works for a while. We've got a back catalogue of people we need to get to, so we apologise it's taken so long. But I think the outcry of the questions from the community is going to make up for that. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to answering the onslaught. <laughs> it is. Th- it is. And it's. It, it, do we say it was uh, that all the questions are very press the advantage or die Autobots, Dave? Well, what you oh, doing? you never know. <laughs> <laughs> that card has definitely ruffled a few feathers in the community. There are people that like, like it, but then again, you know... Um, Bayformers did United against Tyranny, so I'm just saying. Anyway, that's digressing. I know. Us Brits, us Brits r- ruffling the feathers? What are you talking about, Dave? Come on, everyone loves us, right? <laughs> We're Switzerland. This is it. But, um, yeah, thanks again, Carl. Like, it's been, it has been a while in the making. Obviously, me and you um, started chatting earlier this year where you um, kindly offered to have a look at some of the abominations that I was making and the wordings and going, no, Dave, that's wrong. Because um, that's something you, you're quite involved with within the community, isn't it? They're not the worst that I've seen. I can tell you that. <laughs> Thank you. He's just correcting our English, even though our wording isn't great, but we know how to pronounce things. That's what we can say. <laughs> so this is your opportunity, Carl, to, to tell those that don't know, and they really should know the name Techno Majors if they're involved within the Transformers community. Who, who are you? So my name is Carl Andrus. Uh, I live in on the east coast of the U.S. Um, and I have been playing trading card games for the vast majority of my life. Um, I started playing Magic the Gathering over 25 years ago, um, back when I was still in grade school. Uh, and I was actually introduced to the game by the younger brother of a friend of mine from school. Um, and I say introduced very loosely because his method of teaching players was to take his... Uh, basically, he handed me a deck of all of his cards that he didn't like, which were his red and black cards, and he took a deck of his white, bl- uh, blue, and green cards and had them all together. And he went over the basics, you know, the turn structure, play one land a turn, and all that fun stuff. But he also decided, oh yeah, and I get to start the game with an enchantment in play. So he starts the game with a circle of protection black. <laughs> before before turn one and i'm Good just time. like all right sure whatever um so we play and uh and i actually won that game somehow uh and so he's like all right well let's play again and then he pulls another curveball on me which was negative mana 
So if a spell has X in its cost, you can you can pull negative X out of that spell to invert its effect. So he's like, all right, I'll play this stream of life with X of a negative 100. So you lose 100 life, and then I'll stream of life myself for 100 to gain 100 life. And I'm like, all right, cool. Um, I did the exact same thing to him the next game with a fireball. So I neg 100 myself with a fireball and then fireballed him for 100. I haven't talked to him since. <laughs> well, that's how Magic the Gathering divides friends and people who introduce them to games more than anything, isn't it? It's... And for those players that haven't played Magic, that's not how those cards work. <laughs> no, no, it is not. That, as, that is actually part of the reason that inspired me to become a judge for Magic and also what led me down the road of just getting really in-depth into understanding the rules of the game and understanding how things work and fit together. And then when things are like, wait, how exactly that's supposed to work asking some really awkward really pointed questions is is this supposed to work this way or this way because there's some really bad things that happen depending on which one of those two you say yeah magic's definitely one of the most intricate sets of rules out there i used to to and um judge here in the uk in in sussex and yeah even at level one, the judging stuff like the, the you know timestamps and layers and all that, like you can really go into sort of crazy detail. Oh yeah. Um, so that's really cool. Um, I didn't realize you, you were a judge as well for for MTG. So that, that's awesome. The the man who certified me for judge level one uh, is named Eli Schifrin. Uh Magic players may know him as the former rules or rules person for magic up until about a year ago the the main rules guy that, that's awesome yes. that's awesome at the time he was only a level three he wasn't actually employed by wizards at the time but he was he was the one who certified me for l1 and then the judge who certified me for l2 was brian shank aka the guy who writes the judge tests i think it's really funny when it comes to like judging and stuff like that if people don't know that or if you listen to this and you're like what the heck does levels mean i immediately when everyone's like i'm level one i'm level two the first thing i go is like so the judges are a part of a cult and they're all got different <laughs> levels and this is incredible and, they, and it's just like oh, i'm going to, and I, it always brings me back to hilarious moments in south park whenever everyone's like oh, i can't understand like magic the gathering and i was like just watch the South Park episode. It's possibly <laughs> the worst understanding, but also the most hilarious. All right, I'm going to play a fifth mana card, and then I'm going to attack with my Elder Beast. Hold on. Wait. Hold on. Can Kenny block his Elder Beast? Not with his shapeshifter, it's already tapped. This asshole needs to make a move already. Quiet in the peanut gallery, please. I am attacking, but with a newly summoned spark ghast who has trample, four damage to your planeswalker. Oh! Oh no! Kenny! Shh! But he's dying! What's that? He's playing an enchantment. This late? He's just stacked his shapeshifter with an elven blade! I can block that with uprooted minotaur! Serendip Sorcerer unblocked, Winner McCormick! Yeah! No! Dude, it was complete brutality. You've never seen anything so ruthless. But then, Carl, when it comes to, obviously, you said you, you, you started, obviously, Magic, uh, and then you were a judge. So how did you get involved in Transformers' side? Because, obviously, it's in the same kind of company, isn't it? Wizards created, uh, obviously, MTG. So how did you get into Transformers? Well, I've been, a, I've been a fan of the series forever, basically, since I first watched the TV show back when I was a, even younger, um, like 
five, six. Uh, I remember seeing the movie. I remember watching all of the first season or of Generation One and just loving the idea of uh, of alien giant robots that transform into vehicles. And I love the toys too because the toys were literally two things in one. Because you have a truck. And then when you're bored with the truck, now you have an action figure that you can shoot things with. And then when you're bored with that, you have a truck again. So uh, I loved the the duality of the toys, and even some of the more crazier uh, it, some of the more crazier alt modes, like you have Scorponok, which is a giant scorpion, a giant robot, or a city. Um, I always uh, my. My biggest love of the series, of the franchise, though, were the Titans, you know, Scorponok, Fortress Maximus, um, though I never actually had a Fort Max or Scorponok growing up. All I had were were the smaller guys. I had uh, I had an Optimus Prime. I had an old Devastator, uh, original Devastator. I had two of the Seacons and a couple other figures here and there. I'm pretty sure I had a complete Abominus at one point as well. But... Um, I, I love the Gestalts. I, I love the Combiners. Um, I love the Titans because I like the big guys. Um, I always collected the leaders, Optimuses and Megatrons, or tried to anyway. I was going to say, I'm assuming because you love the Titans, I'm, I'm going to assume, and you know what you do when you assume, I'm assuming you've got the new Scorponok. He is my webcam stand right now. Dude, he's insane, ain't he? Like, I, when my friend Dave brought him over, he... He was the size of a small child. Yes. It's insane. <laughs> like, when my mate, funny enough, my good friend Dave, shout out to you, Mr. Dave, um, he brought him over because he was like, Lee, I've already showed you how big Omega is, and I know for a fact that you're you're eyeing up Scorponok. I'll bring him over. And as soon as he got him out of like the box, immediately I was like, that's the smart size of a small toddler. That is ridiculous. And yeah, oh. I've, I've got Scorponok starving as my webcam stand. I have Omega Supreme standing over in the corner of my living room because I don't have a better place for him. Unicron's currently holding a hand of Unicron raid cards on the table in my dining room because I don't have a better place for him. Uh, I have Trypticon and Fort Max, or I have Fort Max holding Trypticon in a headlock on top of one of my bookcases. <laughs> so obviously you've stated about the cards and you've mentioned your love for Titans. Like growing up then, what was your favorite like Transformer then? So... My favorite Decepticon was actually Trigger Happy. I loved his transformation, and the Titans Return version is probably my favorite toy out of the entire set, uh, out of the entire series, just because they managed to replicate the original Trigger Happy, but with better posability. And I love that they still had the same gimmick you could do with the original one, where you could fold his hand into, uh, fold his hand in, and then flip his, uh, flip his guns around so he has arm cannons instead of hands. And that was one of the things that I loved about the original Trigger Happy. As for my favorite Autobot, that's uh, that's a bit harder. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to go with probably Earthrise Optimus. Um, he's he's been really fun. I really like how they improved the Siege Optimus, and he just looks like he stepped right out of the cartoon in bot mode. Um, his alt mode is. It's not quite as good, um, I, I want to say, as, as like some of the older Optimuses that are that are more like accurate, so to speak. But it's still like the posability, the the appearance, just everything about him, I really like. Man, that that's insane because it's always interesting when we've had guests on to talk about like their favorite either toys or favorite characters, etc. For Transformers, it's everyone has either very similar like likings or like complete left field like i absolutely love it and sometimes i'm like i have no idea who that is 
I need to Wikipedia that person. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, it's from this comic book or it's from this like Japanese show. And like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I yeah, I am definitely not well uh, educated, should we say, <laughs> in the in the Transformers uh, lore, should we say. So so when it came to the, the car game, obviously, Carl, um, we've got you on to talk about, because I think everyone in the community, if you don't know, Carl is like the rules guru. Am I right in saying that, Dave? Oh, yeah. There it is. <laughs> card, card, card rulings and um, wordings particularly, because obviously there's a lot of custom content out there and you've given your time selflessly, not only doing your own cards, because that's something that you're doing now, but also helping other members of the community, like myself, like Bayformers, and helping other members of the community as well. Word stuff, so it makes sense and fits within the framework that Wizards gave us. So how did you get so involved in sort of deep, sort of deep rules wording? So this goes back to my time playing Magic. Um, I am... I have made my own custom cards for Magic. Um, granted, Magic's still going, so it's not like I can publish them or whatever like I have with the Ark. But um, very early on, I noticed just how particular Wizards is with the templating of their cards, how things are worded, why things are worded in a specific way versus another way, why they use very peculiar words uh, when doing a an effect. Um, the meaning of target versus not target, choose versus uh, that many, and so on. Uh, and basically, I use that to sort of learn the language of magic and then extend that to Transformers. Because uh, actually, it was uh, a way it's been described um, in a very good way is that Transformers is not a game. It is a programming language and the cards are functions in that programming language. The actual game are the different formats you make allowing or disallowing certain functions. So it's basically a rules engine that you can play multiple different games out of. Mm. That, I, I've never looked at it that deeply. I'm just like, I, I like robots. I like robots and they transform. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's the one thing we all, we all love, but obviously there is that uh, obviously aspect of it, which is, I, yeah, like, I agree with everything Dave just said. I have, like, as soon as you finished that, I was like, wow, mine's blown a little bit right now. Like, I knew this was going to be a bit of a big show, but understanding certain things in different ways, oh, I'm getting edumacated. And I'm saying it wrong <laughs> on purpose as well, because I do love when people say, you can't say that word. I'm like, yeah, there's reasons why. Um, before we get into the meat of this episode, because guys, when we uh, came up with the idea of getting Carl on, and you guys came out and absolutely smashed down the doors, you broke the walls, you did uh, pretty much everything. There's no house remaining where we asked you to just basically leave a question for Carl. You guys came out in your droves and we thank you for doing that and also liking the post and all, all that jazz on the Facebook. I think Carl is excited about um, answering some of these questions. I think some of them kind of tangent into each other, so we're going to give props to the people who have obviously uh, have answered the questions so he can tie some of them in, which will be quite nice. Um, but Dave and me just want to like talk a little bit about other stuff you do before we get into the meat. Is that fair, Carl? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so, Dave, we've got to tread carefully here. Well, I've got to tread carefully. 
Um, obviously, everyone knows Carl for uh, designing and helping out the arc. Obviously, Specialist Countdown. Shout outs to you, Carl, for supporting, I think, one of Dave's favorite characters, one of my favorite characters in Omega Supreme. Thank you oh, for that. Buddy. I loved Way 4 Omega Supreme, and I was so sad when he was just barely at the cusp of playable. Yeah, I know. It's poop. He was. He just was like, oh, he's just sad. Sad Pandas FC. Just like... Sad violins being played right now. The card's on the screen. You know, he was very sad. But your card... Oh, man. I've, I think Dave and me were like... When we were playing Arc 1, I can definitely say he was one of the first on my table because immediately was like, yeah, let's dust off that guy. Let's get him back on the table. And by God, he was a bit of a scary individual. I think we both went for both. Like You went for Captain and I went for... I went even... <laughs> more into the depths of non-playability and that was Wave 2 promo Omega Supreme I was like nope I'm going to play him again he's rubbish but I'm going to play him well the idea was to let Countdown work with Wave with, work with both Omegas yes and he does I, I don't know he's more favorite to uh, to Wave 4 Omega um just because I based him off of the the Minicon Countdown that came with Wave 4 Omega but I think he's still can do some things with Promo Omega. Oh, oh, definitely. He really can. He's nowhere near as effective as the Bayformers um, uh, countdown. However. We're not allowed to talk about that card. <laughs> we're not allowed <laughs> to talk card, about no, that. No, we could say it. We could say it because I know Adam knows we're all in jest. That card? Dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. We love you, really. But everyone knows the inside joke is just like, man, I think... That's the one that kind of put Dave and me just going like, this is a really negative experience. I don't understand. It wasn't negative for me. It was fine for me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure at this point, this is where Hawkhammer puts uh, the last line of defense stratagem with the psycho music playing in the background. Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We love that strat and also hate that strat. The funny thing about Arc Wave 1 is that I actually came on to the project very late in production and it was mostly finalized by the time that I got in. So all the cards that I created count down, Trithelium plating, Assault Formation, they were all hole fillers. They weren't actually planned to be in the set originally. And you've, you've just named a couple of the, the big ones, which which is going to sort of come, we're going to go into a bit more detail as we go oh, yeah. through the questions in a bit, because there's there's some questions regarding some of the cards you made. So we'll, we'll go into a bit more detail then. Um, so with the arc, obviously there was a bit of a tease the other week when someone changed, I believe it was Nick, changed the... Uh, the cover photo for the Facebook group, didn't it? So you're the first art member we've spoken to since that that change, and the symbol has changed. Why is that, Carl? Well, that symbol is the expansion symbol for Arcwave 2, which is currently in development. Um, I can't say for certain just how far along it is. Some things are further along than others. We don't really have a release window. We're more on the, we'll release it when it's done. Um, kind of thing. When it's similar ready. To, yeah. When it's ready. Similar to how we were with uh, Arcwave 1. Though we are looking into doing a public beta, uh, kind of like what Bayformers did with their World Strike, uh, their, their first wave, um, because there were problems with Arcwave 1. Uh, there were some very problematic interactions that we missed during testing that uh, we were let known after the fact and we fixed most of them. There's still a few that are in the works to get fixed as well, um, but they're... Uh, Things are a little slow. Unfortunately, the the whole situation with the world ending a, a year and a half ago kind of put the dampener on a lot of 
our ability to a lot of our free time um so like a, a lot of us haven't always had the time to sit down and, and play test or design cards uh, and, and that's kind of why we're running on a bit of a smaller crew for this wave than we did with wave one is just because some of us are some of us just don't have the free time to be able to dedicate to it they're still members of the arc we still welcome their input but they've chosen to sit this one out by their own volition they're not there's no like falling out or anything that's good to hear because obviously you, you are all you know the, the, every member of the arc has been quite a prominent member of the transformers community when it when the game was alive obviously wreck and roll and power by primus boa obviously yourself being known as the rules guy um obviously Matifer as well our good friend in the canadian alps um he's still there i believe so he's still he's still he's there st he's he is still there the alps, i still i think he's still looking for that moose he is that still, moose is an elusive is. moose just saying. It's an elusive moose. <laughs> Either that or he's driving his, his Lamborghini around somewhere, tearing up the highways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, that's really exciting news. Obviously, that's kind of... I think most people guessed that something was coming. But it's really nice to have confirmation from, from an art member saying, yes, it's coming. <laughs> um, and I'm excited because... Um, I've played Art Wave One to death, and I need some new cards. So, <laughs> well, we we hope to fill that void. So, with that, obviously, Carl, you've mentioned that arc, and I know the first thing that people are listening to. Can you tell us anything about Wave Two? Without, because obviously, there's certain things. Other guests, other members of the arc we've had on have kind of hinted and pushed at other things, which I'm kind of smiling at. So can you tell us anything, Carl, without, like, you know, getting into trouble with your overlords over there at the Ark? <laughs> well, we, we, like I said, uh, we are working on Wave 2. Uh, we're, we're well into the testing phase. Um, most, of the, most of the cards in it are designed and ready to go. Uh, exact numbers I can't really give you. It's going to be probably around the same size as Wave 1. Um, and what we did mention, we are working on... Uh, a combiner support wave similar to how wave two in the original game was all about the combiners our wave two is also going to be about combiners we have uh we have several lined up for the docket that it, including a few that people are, should be really excited to see um and uh, a few that people probably won't be expecting spicy i like that because because we like our big boys on this channel obviously we love our titans we love our combiners it's exciting. I, I'm, I'm always going to keep on like asking questions like, which ones, which ones, which ones? And hopefully, whenever whenever we get to the spoiler season, I'll be like, I think Dave and me will be the first ones to go. So you know you love us, right? And you know we constantly keep memeing the whole beefcake on our podcast. And say it with me. Beefcake. 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 Could we have a big boy at some point? <laughs> like, I don't mind not having all the baby components, but I just want the big boy. That would be amazing. But obviously, it's really cool because it's exciting because I think that comes with, obviously, Dave and me really love Arc Wave 1. There's some amazing cards in there. There's some cards in there that make me just want to, like, punch Dave sometimes <laughs> in the face uh, because a there's a... Con there's, there's, <laughs> well, there's one character that you love, and I seem to always play it within our group. And I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna say a phrase that obviously he says in a movie, which I'm just gonna say is Barnard Greet Winniebong or whatever. <laughs> that guy has made me yell 
God knows how many times. Like, I'm, I'm it's, sorry. It might not be the character. It might not be the character. I think it's the stratagem more than anything. But um, it's exciting because obviously, you know, you've done some amazing things with Arc uh, Arc Wave One. There's a lot of anticipation, obviously, with Arc Wave Two, and like. It's exciting when people say we're working on combiners because obviously Wizards didn't give them enough justice. And it's exciting that obviously there's some combiners out there that haven't been done. And obviously you guys are probably working on them. I'm excited if you actually do the train one because I always give matter for a lot of like jip because yeah, I think when we had him on, I just laughed because I thought it was really funny that in the Japanese cartoon they made a combiner out of trains. There's three train combiners. I know, and I literally laughed because in England, trains don't really work. They never come on time sometimes <laughs> in England. So I was like, if those, if they came and said, oh, we're going to save this city, I'd be like, good luck. They're going to be like an hour late. There's going to be nothing left. It's so true. It is so true. Tra trains, trains here are atrocious. They really atrocious. are. Atrocious. They are. They're, they're ruddy awful, they are. <laughs> they are ruddy. Let's get all the British. They're bloody terrible, aren't they, Dave? <laughs> So awesome. No, it's, it's really, really good, Carl. Hey guys, just going to interrupt here with a bit of a commercial break during this podcast. We're going to start doing these a little bit in these podcasts because we've got a lot of cool, fun stuff happening in the community. So the first thing I want to do is do a big shout out to my main man, Dave, who's my co-host on this podcast. If you want to check out his battle reports, he's doing more again, which is fantastic. And he's filming a lot of competitive games as well as casual games so if you want to check that out guys head over to his youtube channel which is the energon hustlers uh, go over there watch his videos subscribe drop likes make sure uh, you give him a lot of love because he is a fantastic guy in the community and his videos are awesome and yeah uh, just do it come on do it do it! Coming up on my announcements and stuff, we have a new podcast which we're really, really excited about, which is Tales from the Loop, which is a really cool RPG podcast, which we're going to kind of make into an audio drama. So um, here's the trailer for that, and then we'll get straight back to some Transformers and get straight back to Carl, who is going to be answering all your guys' questions. Imagine you're a kid growing up in the 80s. The world is your oyster. All you want to do is listen to music, watch television, chase girls, play video games, go to school, and hang out with your friends. But there is a twist when it comes to Tales from the Loop. You've grown up in a version of the 80s with advanced technology. In this world, two particle accelerators have been found underneath the world's surface. One in the west of Stockholm in Sweden, and the one in Boulder City in Nevada, USA. Technology has started to advance so much we have seen advancements in robotics, artificial intelligence, and even vehicle technology. We have raw materials such as oil and wood being carried around by flying ships, robot machines that would do farm work, and even robots doing civilian and military work. But something must have happened recently. Strange things have been happening. People have started disappearing. Rumors of robots walking around and acting out of their programming. People not acting themselves. Incidents involving trucks and cars going missing. And even possible dinosaur sightings. Little did people know this was only the beginning. 
Hello, my name is Lee and I'm the producer of Bleeped Up Productions and Tales from the Loop is a live role-playing podcast which will be following a group of kids growing up in that universe. This group of friends will go on adventures, make new friends, grow in their personal relationships with each other and even battling things that you might have read from a comic book or seen on a television program. The first episode will air soon on this YouTube channel and also be available as a downloadable podcast. So feel free to follow the links in this description below by subscribing to this and also checking out my other podcasts on my Podbean. But until then, please follow this channel carefully and trust me, Tales from the Loop is coming and strange things are on the horizon. So... Dave, with that being said, would you like to take the first question? Uh, as I want, I want you to take more of a more. I'm, I'm just sound like I'm being lazy, being like the producer. But like, I got you to introduce Carl. I think it's only right that you get to do the first question as well, mate. I, I can, I can do the first question, no problem. So this, this is from my good friend Jared, um, who's kind of a part-time member of the Turbo Revving Old Punks. He, he, he was um, help, helpful early on. <laughs> And his, his question is, when it comes to adjusting cards for rules, uh, sorry, for rules clarity, which cards, if any, were the most difficult to readjust? Oh, man. Swinging for the fences with the first one. Um, there have been a lot. Uh, it, to, I mean, it really depends. Um, I have logs of just... I've gone over multiple cards and multiple uh, from multiple groups, and they and they can attest to it. Uh, Legendary uh, Bill Moo or Adam Edgmond, um, even Clone Killer, aka uh, Spencer, who did uh, Wave uh, Wave X. I, I'll just like when I'm rewording their cards, I'm just like, hey, 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 what's your intent? What's your intent? What happens if I do this? What happens if I do this? Is this supposed to do this? Is this supposed to do that? Um, but I think the most uh, one of the one of the most egregious ones i think and i hate to throw them under the bus like this but is actually aerial superiority from arc wave one um partially because it was such a pain in the neck to just grab uh jamie uh by the collar and say what is this card supposed to do is this card supposed to work this way some of the cards, like when you see some of the cards that have really convoluted word, wordings, like really long blocks of text, those are just ones where I'm like, really, can you can you try to make this a little more simple? Why do you do this to me? Oh, there's a, there's, a, there's another there's another shank, at Adam, man. We've shot at Adam twice <laughs> in this episode. We love you, Adam. Oh yeah, no, we love uh, you. We love uh, Adam, I have as all. <laughs> Adam, I have had some words with uh, for certain cards. Um, including some ones for the upcoming uh, Wave BFB. Um, so there are, uh, th like, when I see when I see them, I, I see them, I, like, try to figure out the intent, and then my mind automatically goes to, how is this supposed to be worded? How does this work? And that's when and I say, okay, I need to make sure this is what you're trying to do, because it does this, this, and this, but it doesn't do this and this, and if you're trying to do that and that, you need to change the entire card. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's sometimes it's taken graciously, and sometimes there's a little bit of pushback, and they're like, well, why is that? Why is that? And then sometimes they just flat ignore it, and it, 
happens. I mean, I, I don't. I consider it water under the bridge when they do. I don't hold it against them for not listening to me, though. I do get kind of annoyed that they're not. It feels like they're not trying. Um, but I, like I said, I don't hold it against them for not listening to me. Um, because I'm not, while I do know a lot of things, I'm not officially any kind of an authority outside of being voted onto the Aquitas Council. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult, isn't it, when, when there's no official governing body and no one's officially elected, you know. Obviously, you just do the best job that you can do, you know. I know with me, when we were submitting cards a couple of months ago, you're like, Dave, why is this card an Autobot card? I was like, because it's got Optimus Prime on it. And you're like, that's not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. then I went away and thought and I went away and thought about it and I was like, do you know what? He is actually right. When I looked at his examples, and that's when we came back and we actually revised the card and we actually put like a clause on there for like if you start start the game with um all Autobots and it it then it made sense to have as an Autobot card. So, you know, I think I think it's important that like, you know, if if someone tells you something like, particularly if you're, you know, other card creators out there, you know, if Carl says something or I say something or someone else says something about your card, um, particularly when you're developing a set, because we're all, like, a, lot, a lot of creators are very happy to share their ideas, um, particularly on uh, Bayformers Discord, there's a lot of custom cards shared. Like, don't take anything personally if someone says something against the card, because it's normally not with any, any malice or anything. It's kind of like, well this should probably change for this reason or this seems wrong because of x y and z and i think that's that's something to take away from it and and that's what i did personally and i know you've been you've been a real help dude to the community just helping people get cards that are more within the framework which is really cool and that actually goes into um why i do that though actually looking at cheating and looking ahead that's a question so i'll save it i'll save that explanation for that particular question <laughs> Look at that! Look at that! He's getting—he's already looking down the menu of questions. <laughs> like he's getting—he's licking his lips at every single one. So, yes, thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that question, then, Jared. Much appreciated. So, number two is from David Lease. He states: Is the community taking any steps to balance its cards? It's become a free-for-all since uh, Watsi stopped making cards. How are we making sure no card is broken or too powerful? And how can we avoid power creep? Powerful. That is a. See, the first that's one. That's a huge big, question. Big, big, powerful one. Second one. Man, this is this is a solid one-two combo right here. Like this is some Street Fighter stuff yep. right now. All right, so I'm going to answer the second part of that question right now. You cannot avoid power creep. Um, you can mitigate it, and you can go around it, but inevitably you will you will be forced to obsolete cards in order for your stuff to see play um it has to be better it has to be a better fit than what's already there uh, for either you create an entirely new archetype like what bayformers did with the quinison faction or you just say all right well we're taking this card and we are specifically making a card better than it so that you will no longer want to run that old card um one side is sideways power creep because you're adding more options to the game. The other one is vertical power creep, which is bad because it shortens the lifespan. Uh, basically, once you get the optimal, or once something is solved and the perfect deck is created, the game is dead. 
Uh, and that will happen as more and more powerful cards are created, especially ones that work together or designed to work together, or even just unintentional interactions that cause them to be more powerful than their individual components. And once, once that solved metagame is created, there's no longer any room for growth because you can't... It's literally... It's the old, uh, it's the arms race, uh, as they like to call it in the magic circles, where I have a card that kills a creature. Well, my creature can't be targeted by your by your cards. Well, my card says I can still target it even though you can't tar even though it says you can't target it. Well, my card says I counter that spell. Well, my card says it can't be countered. Well, my card says it uh, it's still countered anyway, and you just keep going on from there, and you're getting more and more convoluted and more and more overpowered until it's just it, it just bursts basically. As for balance, uh, the best way to do that is collaboration. The uh, and we've done this uh, both with you guys, the Turbo Revving Old Punks, and with the Bayformers. We've started working together, pooling our ideas, sharing our concepts for the set, saying, "Here's what we're working on. Here's some of the card ideas we have." let's make sure that there's no really stupid broken stuff that happens there can be powerful stuff sure um powerful interactions are what make people play the game because they like doing these really cool things that make them feel powerful and make them and make them do neat stuff but you just want to make sure that it's not so overbearing that it that it denies your opponent the ability to play 100 percent agree with everything you just said there it's it is you know it is very difficult to to, to balance it like, it has been a real wild west. So I think in the first 12 months since the game was cancelled, like, there were a lot of content creators out there that were making their own custom cars, making their own sets and that, and with all varying degrees of uh, play testing as well. There are sets that are designed very specifically for one kind of metagame, and we've talked about that on a previous episode, and that's fine. That's what those, those, those creators have chosen to do. Obviously, we and you and um, Adam have all started to work in partnership to try and make it so our cards kind of work to, with each other. But I think one of the interesting things is obviously Adam, when he's running his encounters, is like, okay, I've discovered a really gnarly interaction between this card that I've designed and a card that was designed in, in, in Art Wave 1. And for my event that's featuring art cards, we are going to be banning X, Y, and Z. And I think that's, that's kind of like where the balance comes in, is that you've got to be, well... You know, we want it to be a fun environment for people to come and play in and not a negative environment. So that's, you know, that's one of the ways to sort of balance that out. And I think if you're playing at home, pick and choose carefully what you're playing with and ask, ask the question, is my opponent, you know, if you're playing a casual game, is your opponent going to enjoy facing what you've put on the board against them? It's very different to play a tournament style game and, and to play a casual game around the kitchen table, isn't it? That's, that's I think, one thing to bear in mind. Actually, and I'm going to be a little controversial here. Um, so, yes, there were uh, there were people all coming out all out of the word works. Hey, look at these cool ideas. Look at these cool uh, Beast Wars characters I made. Hey, look at this set we have with all these uh, underappreciated uh, generic or rogue characters that nobody's ever heard of. Hey, look at this set that we've designed specifically for tournament play. And they were all designed without talking to each other and so obviously there will be interactions between the cards that don't work but as the group creating the cards they are allowed to shape the metagame the way they want to like what adam did with his uh, encounter one encounter two and the upcoming encounter four which is going to be bayformers cross arc um they 
they are allowed to say we design our cards to only work with what currently exists from Wizards of the Coast and our cards and we don't want anyone else to include or we don't want to include any outside cards in our designs or in our concepts and that's fine they are more than welcome to do that they are allowed to shape their metagame their tournament structure as they see fit but the important thing to understand is the casual player is not going to see that. They're not going to care about that. They're going to say, hey, look at these really cool cards. I'm going to put them in my deck with this other stuff that I think will work nice with it. And then they play it against their friend, and their friend just is miserable because of these unintended interactions that pop up that just completely destroy the experience for one or both of the players. And and then they, they no longer want to play the game as a result. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's the, yeah. that's the importance of collaboration you don't have to go out of your way to make sure to like fix your cards based on what other people are making but you should at least say hey there's an there's a card that we're designing that's going to be really powerful let's make sure it doesn't do anything unexpected with your stuff and if it does we'll say we'll put in a note with our download that says hey these certain cards from other sets are cause unintended interactions so we recommend not using x x y and z with the uh with our stuff or if you use our stuff you probably shouldn't use this this and this in the in other sets just because of unintended interactions yeah i i 100 agree with both of you guys what you said because it definitely felt a little bit like the wild west when the game ended like everyone wanted to be its savior and everyone rushed out and made cards, which I, uh, at the end of the day, looking back on it, like everyone's entitled to do that. Like you're entitled to create your own stuff. I think what we did as uh, uh, we were kind of blessed, to be honest, like Dave, me, Nazumi and Matt for, with the Turbo Revan old punks. <laughs> was the fact that we had a platform uh, where we got creators on and we got like uh people in the community who liked our podcast wanted to be our podcast and they kind of just fell into our lap of people just saying we'll help you out we'll do this we'll do that and it was kind of a real blessing for, for dave and myself and it was really cool to work alongside the arc and work alongside the bay formers and going forward that's what we want to do because yeah i think i think if you've watched or listened to our last episode our sets appear a purely fun and theme and that is our main staple going forward and it has been really really interesting because people can pick and choose what they want to play and it's and it's i can definitely say everyone's entitled to their own opinion like everyone knows like we we hinted at it one of our cards has got a lot of uh shall we say a lot of interesting thoughts about it in the community which fair play you know <laughs> We're in, you're entitled to that opinion. We're not angry at that. We freaking love that card. It's dope. And we will always stand by our cards. And and I think the thing is, you can pick and choose what you want to play. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because it, it is it's very easy to have those interactions that are broken. It, mm. You've kind of got self-police. Like there's, there's certain cards from some, you know, I've got a lot of the fan sets and I kind of self-police who I'm playing at that time and generally now from my personal perspective the cards I play are kind of considered um, quote unquote official in my play group 
So um, the guys I play via webcam and also Matt and some of the other guys that live here in Plymouth with me um, is I play with Arkham Bayformers and obviously Turbo Revving cards. That's that's what I play with, with the Wizards of the Coast stuff. Um, I do look at other stuff and I do like other stuff, but you've got to be careful because it is very, you can get some real wonky stuff going. But at the end of the day, we're all, we're all you know, individuals and we get all, all like doing different kinds of things within that game. Um, and I think it's just, use a bit of common sense. If you're playing in a tournament, play within the guidelines of that tournament. If you're playing at home, you've kind of got to think, is this going to really annoy someone? And like Carl said, you don't want people going, well, this is dumb. The game was great when Wizards was, was in charge of it. It's just a Wild West free-for-all. I'm not interested in playing with these cards because they don't know what they're doing. And I think it's, you know, you've just got self-police. So that, that's, that's a David, thank you. That's a really, really in-depth question because David's one of the UK community as well. So it's nice to see, see his question here today. Um, like, you've just got self-police, I think, a little bit when you're playing casually and then look at, choose what tournament format's right for you. Yeah, Dave, thank you very much for that incredible and amazing, like, question. Like, two for two right now. So, uh, Dave... Number three. Okay, this is from, from Hunter Kielman, who's AKA Tank Hunter. He's one of the streamers within the community. And his question is, what drives Carl to help out on so many fan set releases and custom cards? Okay, so this is going back to what I mentioned earlier. So the reason why I help out with like wording and templating and making sure things work within the framework of the rules is because at the end of the day, I want people to be able to play the game and have fun and understand what's going on. That's my goal. My goal is not to make the best card or the best deck or even to make uh, or, or even to be um, like the, mo the best player in the world or whatever. My goal is to make sure the game is being played correctly and people are enjoying themselves. And in order to do that, you need to make sure that the, the cards are worded in a c clear and concise way to minimize the requirement for judge calls. Um, because the more times you have to call over a judge to say, hey, how does this work with this? The more times the game gets interrupted, the more times, the, the more downtime the players have, and the less time they're actually spending beating each other's faces in with giant robots. Good answer. <laughs> I think. Answer, I think. Can't even argue with that. Yeah, I, th I think. You know, consistency as well, isn't it? It's uh, having a consistent framework where like you say people can look at card and go what does you know they they all make sense like you say they make sense and there's continuity across the board yes so part two of hunter's question is what's the most egregious issue issue he's dealt with um well it goes back to the uh, aerial superiority from arc wave one that i mentioned earlier but there there's also a couple of the bayformers cards um for example when i was going through uh, the BFA Alpha cards and, and uh, rewording them, there were actually three cards that I did not look at because I, I flat out told Adam, these cards are too wordy, please reconsider them. And one of those cards that I didn't look over was Discordant Cacophony, which soft locks the game. Okay then. <laughs> okay. Because I want to hear this. I want to hear this now. <laughs> so um, the the original wording for discordant cacophony was if you f you reveal when your opponent chooses an attacker, but before they choose a defender, and then if you have this whole one of this whole laundry list of uh, of requirements, which includes things like two motorcycles or ravage or a beast or a few uh, a uh, the whole bunch of stuff, just way too many things, half of which don't even exist in the game currently, but. 
if you have a certain if you meet those requirements you untap the tapping the attacking character that character cannot attack that turn and your opponent must attack with a different character the problem with this is when the game goes to untap so all my guys are tapped you have two untapped characters you declare one of them as attacker and i reveal this meet the requirements and untap that guy and you attack with your other character okay so now we go to the end of combat step and the game says oh you have an untapped character all right go back to the beginning of combat and attack with that character then so you go to, back to the beginning of combat but discordant comedy says this character can't attack skip to the end of combat there's an untapped character back to the beginning this character Feedback can't attack. Loop. end yeah. of combat beginning and so on and so forth and the game the game is now uh, ends in a draw because no one can do anything so um that is been that is being changed um it is being reworked and it is currently not turn uh, not legal in bayformers events until the fixed wording is out uh i believe a fixed wording is in the works and should be out shortly but i don't i don't remember the exact time frame for it but that was that was definitely one of the more egregious ones and that was partially because i just was like this is way too complicated i really don't want to deal with this <laughs> that's fair that's totally fair i i you know when we were doing our review of there's a lot of cards like like that in in the set where like you said there's a lot long list of stuff and i hadn't even picked up on on that that you could just like stall the game completely it's like it's like you know it's like a feedback loop isn't it like you we can't progress from here we can't progress right well and it has to do, and this goes into like the really in-depth rule stuff that most people aren't aware of um because the the a lot a lot of out of order sequencing happens in the game that's mostly just washed under the bridge because in the end the game ends up where it's supposed to be just people are doing things in the wrong order but when you really get into the nitty gritty of, of the rules and you start understanding, wait, this is supposed to work, then this, then this, and then you run into this giant screeching roadblock and you're like, oh no, we just broke something. <laughs> it didn't help either that, like, the, most people's introduction to the rules for the game were like a very, very tiny leaflet that came with your deck that was a, wasn't even one A4 size worth of rules. Yes. Like, you had to go dig deeper to find the expanded rules and even then they're not perfect you know they, they were not perfect oh um, man no they were not no, i not. <laughs> i i i said this when i was voted on to the equitas council that i had been working on writing a full magic style uh annotated comprehensive rules document it's still in progress i haven't really had the free time to work on it but i'm barely scratched the surface of it i'm maybe probably like 10 percent done of it and it's still and it's already 17 pages Wow. And that's just like keywords and a couple of definitions. It's it's crazy because obviously CCGs are, are prone to those kind of like large rules. You look at the comprehensive rules from Magic now, they're immense. Uh, I believe the last count was over 700 pages. That's insane. That's insane. Um, wow. But Transformers never really had that. So that's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people probably wouldn't see that kind of rules interaction like on, on the Discord and Cacophony at first glance. I, I certainly didn't see it, so that's, that's really interesting. So thank you, Hunter, for your questions. Um, Lee, you're up, dude. I know. I, I just feel I'm going back to school. <laughs> Listening to everything that Carl's saying, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm being educated right now. This is insane. Anyway, 
Uh, question number four is from Anthony Woodward. He states, um, I've seen this question pop up a few times, so I'll ask it here in order to get a certain... Oh, no, not certain. A concrete answer for everyone. Well, I don't know if everyone in the whole community listens to our podcast, but thank you, Anthony. We, he states, both belligerence and end hostilities are active. What happens? <laughs> Mic drop, I believe, is what, um, yeah, that's, that's it. Good question. All Good right. Question. So, time to go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> All right. So, th- this is going to, um, the before, we, before I go into the real deep dive of why it works this way, the TLDW is they cancel each other out. The reason for this is belligerence and end hostilities use what's called a replacement effect. Uh, a replacement, so there's three main kinds of abilities in Transformers. There's the sta- uh, static ability, which are things that are just true, such as uh, Optimus, uh, General Optimus Prime giving all your characters bold one and tough one while in alt mode. There's the triggered ability that trigger when an event happens and then act based on that event. So, uh, such as uh, secret action when this character is attacked or um, when you flip X colors, uh, those are triggered abilities. Then you have replacement effects. Uh, replacement effects are things like safeguard or force field. They wait until an event happens and then they modify the event so that something different happens. So belligerence and end hostilities set up two replacement effects. Belligerence sets up an effect that says if a player flips a blue card, that blue becomes an orange instead. Uh, and then and hostilities does the opposite. If a player flips an orange card, that orange becomes blue instead. So what happens is when you go to flip your battle cards, say for example, you attack or you play belligerence, your opponent, you attack with your character, your opponent flips and hostilities, and then you flip two copies of ramming speed. Belligerence does nothing because you're flipping orange at first. And hostility says, oh, you're trying to flip an orange card. Well, it's a blue card now. But now that the, you're flipping two blue cards, you still haven't flipped them fully yet because we're still, a replacement effect can now apply, which is belligerence. It says, oh, those blue cards you flipped, they're orange now. And it were, and, and basically, so they, they cancel each other out. There you go. So it, just, so it just goes back to its original thing. Right. Effectively. Yes. So the, the problem is that there's two schools of thought on this. That is my school of thought, which is replacement effects behave the way they do in magic, which is they wait until they apply and then they apply regardless of who owns them. The other school of thought is to apply replacement effects the way that triggered abilities are handled, where the active player applies theirs first and then the non-active player applies theirs. The problem with this comes to that very same example. I flip two oranges. Well, belligerence doesn't apply because no blues were flipped. Now, and hostilities comes in and turns them blue, but oh no, uh, the uh, the non-active player stuff has already happened, so belligerence just literally did nothing that attack. And... That doesn't feel right to me because it, it creates, uh, to go back to magic again, what I call the Furnace of Wrath issue. So Furnace of Wrath is an old card from magic that says, if something would take damage, it takes double damage instead. So let's say, for example, some foolish card designer decided it would be a really good idea to port Furnace of Wrath into magic. And then I have a char- and then you and I both have a character with an Ultra Magnus armor on it, which says if a character, if this character would take non-attack damage, it takes that much minus one instead. I have the Furnace of Wrath in play, 
and I play a Magray, uh, which does one damage to all characters. So we have a bunch of replacement effects hitting that one damage Magray. So I have the Ultra Magnus Armor trying to prevent it, the Furnace Effect trying to double it, and my opponent's Ultra Magnus Armor is also trying to prevent it. Because it's my turn, I can apply the, uh, and I control both effects, I get to apply them in the order that I want. So I say, okay, Ultra Magnus Armor, reduce that damage to zero. Furnace of Wrath says, zero times two is zero, and I take nothing. My opponent, because it's not their turn, is forced to apply my Furnace first, doubling the damage to two, and then gets to apply their Magnus Armor and still takes one damage. They don't get to do what I just did. And that doesn't seem right. Yeah, so that's, that's it. Like, I've... If it, when we've played belligerents and hostilities on the challenge, just in, in in games where we're just playing, merely playing each other, we've always if, if the belligerents had been played and then someone revealed the end hostilities, it just like cancelled each other out, which is kind of how we've always played it. Yeah, isn't it? Like? Yes, it just it's just exactly like it. I think the one thing that it comes down to is what you've talked on about, Carl, is the active window for me, especially when I always get things wrong on my channel but hey we made mistakes so you don't have to um and we just get you know people saying this is how you play it and we're like thank you very much for correcting us always appreciated we it just seems to make sense when it just cancels each other out like and and the problem is though is that active window is it's like it's like the effects of cards there's a trigger window then there's this window and then there's that window that's why it's always interesting when i'm like watching We've bought up magic so much in a Transformers podcast, it's quite hilarious. But watching a magic game where it's like, well, this effect's going to trigger, but I'm going to just do this before this triggers, and this triggers, and that triggers, and it's like, really? I just thought it was just going to be this wham-bam simple, but no, there's a lot more to it. Well, the thing of it is, is that both Transformers and Magic were ba made by Wizards of the Coast. A lot of people who worked on Transformers were Magic players um, or worked on Magic. And so they brought over a lot of concepts from Magic to Transformers. Replacement effects, triggered abilities, static abilities. Like, a lot of the key framework is very similar to Magic. And that's actually one of the reasons I got into the game in the first place uh, and got in as in-depth into the rules as I did was because it was very similar. Now, there are certain key differences, such as when triggered abilities are resolved and the order that they're resolved in um, are, are very different from how Magic handles triggered abilities. But overall, a lot of the knowledge that you have as a Magic player will carry over to Transformers and vice versa. A lot of knowledge you have as a Transformers player can be applied to Magic and help you to understand that game as well. Yeah, it was def definitely one of the draws for me that they, it, it had that familiarity. You know, it was its own game within its own right and it was about you know the cartoon that I grew up loving as a child um, but it helped that there were familiar things like the tap symbol like like Carl says the triggered abilities and and I kind of it, it was like their little safety blanket like well this feels slightly familiar so I don't have to learn everything because um, I know kind of how some of this works already sort of thing so it, it, it was definitely a draw for me so if, with regards to the belligerence question, because we've got a, a, a further question later on, I'm just going to pipe in with this now, which is from Ansel Cox. And it's um, kind of following on from, from Anthony's question is, um, how does inverted work with cards like belligerence and end hostilities? Is there a trigger order and or which order takes priority? So what happens then if there's an inverted? Is it just like nothing happens because it's all weird? Well, so <laughs> inverted uh, actually works the best possible way 
with belligerence and then hostilities because it also like those two is a replacement effect that modifies the that switches the icons as you flip them so when you have belligerence inverted and hostilities at the same time you can actually order the replacements such that you will always get the best possible set of flips um and basically, it's just a matter of when you choose to apply inverted to either force the belligerence or hostilities to get the color you want or to just ignore one or the other. So, like, for example, say uh, say you're on defense, belligerence versus hostilities happens, and you flip two oranges. and you're like, But you have an inverted on your guy, so you can say, okay, well, let's go apply and hostilities first to turn them both blue. Then we'll apply belligerence to turn them both back to orange, and now inverted turns them back blue again. So inverted basically is the outcome then. Yeah, so basically belligerence and, and hostilities would cancel each other out, then inverted would trigger is what you're saying. Well, inverted is not a trigger. Well, it's not a, a trigger, replacement sorry. Effect. Yeah, replacement, very, sorry. So sorry. very important terminology, and I will probably harp on you more times if Thanks, this Carl. question ever comes up again. <laughs> uh, but there, there is a very important distinction between triggered abilities and replacement effects right. uh, triggered abilities react to, like i said triggered abilities react to an event after it has happened and they cannot modify the past there's no time traveling in this game they they react to the event after it has happened and then act based on that and do something else or sometimes sometimes something similar whereas replacement effects Mod interrupt and modify an event as it's happening and change its result. So if you would take X amount of damage, you take this much instead. Or if you would take, uh, or if you would flip one icon, you flip a different icon instead. Whereas triggered abilities are when you flip this set of icons, flip two more cards, or do two damage, or draw some cards, or whatever. And that distinction is very key to understanding how a lot of interactions work in the game. Yeah, it's like I, th I think it's one of the, the good ways to spot a trigger ability is it has normally when doesn't it or at the start yep. of is a trigger and if is the kind of terminology used around replacement effects yes triggers are very uh, triggers are very easy to identify they always use begin with the words when or at in this game yes uh, whereas yeah. replacement effects they're a little more nebulous they'll usually say uh, as something happens or if something would happen and then they frequently use the word instead so to say that this is being replaced with something else or something else is happening. Or if they use instead, then something else is happening instead of the normal event. If they don't use instead, then that something else is happening alongside the event. I feel like everyone now needs to just pause this podcast, get a notepad, just rewind all that and write that all down because I know I have. <laughs> it's very, um, it, it is very hard to just verbally explain it. Uh, pictures definitely help. Yep. So on the YouTube, I'm enjoying this edit. Just saying is all, <laughs> all the cards that he's saying. There's animations going on. So if you're listening to this in the audio, thank you for downloading. Always appreciate it. But if you wanted to see some clarification, check out the YouTubes. Always good. <laughs> I think it's an important one to cover as well because end hostilities and belligerents are commonly played cards. Yes. Um, yes. You know, they, they have inverted less so. Inverted is one of those niche cards that Lee occasionally plays and beats me with. Um, <laughs> it's dope. With That's bombshell. why. It's, it's such a winning card. I don't care. Hashtag team winning for inverted. Just saying. <laughs> kick, kick, kick back. Wave one kick back in a blue bugs deck with inverted. I was like, what is this nonsense? It Bruv, was. It is amazing. <laughs> Bravna. Bravna. I'll have Bravna. you know. I'll have you know that was so dumb. 
You're dumb. You're dumb. <laughs> it was dumb for one game. Funny. Everything else after that, it was trash. But for one game, he had his, he had his moment. That's all that matters. It's all about moments, this game is, guys. Absolutely. But no, thank, thanks, um, Anthony. Um, you know, there's a really, really important question to cover. So, and thanks, and and Ansel as well, because yeah, yeah, Ansel as well, yeah, for for the inverted part, yes, for the inverted thing. So we've kind of wham bammed two like big questions together, which has been pretty nice. Like there you go. Hopefully that has clarified a lot for you guys, because like I said, my notebook over here is uh, <laughs> just slowly filling up with uh, a little bit of Carl knowledge. Just saying, it's quite nice. So next up is is your good friend from the Ark co-creator and, and obviously good friends with us as well lee take it away from the first question from matifer okay so yeah we're going to tag team this dave because matifer's decided to just give us a, an eight course meal of questions which is always <laughs> we love the canadian for this hopefully you found that moose mate that elusive moose man i'm telling you he's such a such an issue i know he's always always eating your trash and trying to like drive your car for some random reason but question one he says specialist countdown is such a unique character can you tell us how he came to be so countdown uh was inspired by the like i said the the micromaster toy that came with the commander class siege omega supreme and it was just a card that that i wanted to make to help uh, way for Omega Supreme because he like I said he always felt right on the edge of playability but was just needed that slight push to get there and so I designed Countdown uh, to be that support card um, he had gone through a number of revisions uh, he started off as four stars but his reduction ability was originally uh, you get one extra star for each Omega Supreme on your starting team so if you played him with Wave 4 Omega, he only cost you one star effectively. <laughs> um, but the idea behind him was to also support promo Omega from Wave 2 and to allow you to go three wide with him with Omega, Countdown, and another four star. And that wording wouldn't, uh, that star reduction style would not let you do it because you'd only have three stars left over. So that that's what brought us to the current wording, which was the reduced two stars. Uh, his bot mode ability and his stats did not change at all from design to the end of development, though the tap ability on his bot mode side did change. Originally, it did not require uh, scrapping a card from your hand to activate, and also it didn't originally put a card back. <laughs> wow. So it oh, wow. was significantly more <laughs> wow. powerful. Um, yeah, so... The main reason why he got changed was because at one point, Nick just came up to me and said, Carl, F this card. I'm going to kill it. <laughs> and I'm like, you got I could just hear Nick saying that as well. I could just hear him saying it. <laughs> I'm going to rip this card into several tiny thousand pieces and burn it. It's a really, really cool little guy. Guys, if you've not tried out Wave 4 with Specialist Countdown, it's really cool. I really love that card filtering ability with him as well. Sort of like draw, you scrap a card, draw... It's draw three when he's combined as well, isn't it? And then put one right, back. It's, it's really so cool. So it's a it's a um, incoming transmission it, uh, normally, but if you have a combiner, it's draw three, put one back instead. Yeah, he's solid. Really, really cool. And I made him say combiner mode specifically so that he has applications outside of Omega Supreme, such as with uh, Skytread or with um, or with Dreadwing. See, I hadn't even thought of that because I just see him. I'm like, he's got to go with Omega. 
Because I'm all I'm, I'm full on theme when I build stuff. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't even think of that. You could even put it with a sky shadow. Mm. Uh, you could. <laughs> I mean, you could, but then you have no soul. <laughs> Sorry, that no was I said that out loud. Sorry, I was supposed to monologue that in my brain. Sorry, that came well, sure. out loud. Yeah, no, just Omega Base, uh, Specialist Countdown, Sky Shadow, and there you go. Um, you have no friends for the rest of your life. Yep. <laughs> You're that one guy. <laughs> that one guy. You have no friends. That's awesome. That's awesome. That no, cool. That that's that's really really interesting. And one, well, this the next question is one of my favorite Arcwave One cards. It says, let's talk about Assault Formation. One of the best and coolest cards in Arc Wave 1. Was the movie your inspiration? Not at first. Um, so the first inspiration of the card was I wanted to create a blue counterpart to Wedge Formation. Because I was, I was so upset when we got uh, Lose the Initiative instead of a blue icon version of wedge formation in wave five because yeah. that put us at two orange black green and zero blue black green um that was actually part of the reason that's both the reason why assault formation and cloud cover have the icons they do uh was to give us the blue counterparts to those icon combinations um so first i looked through and figured out the different abilities that would be effectively granted to that combination so the the bold two to a melee was based off of um, was based off of backup beam from wave two. Yeah. Uh, the move one damage from a range was based off of fling from wave two and special delivery from wave four, and then the flip a specialist was actually based off of escape route from wave two. Though that that one's a little more of a stretch um, because it, it it's not just a one way flip; it's a specialist to any mode from any mode, which is a lot more powerful than it sounds, but also it's still a lot more restrictive. Uh, and I got. So I got a lot of feedback about this card from various people after we had released or after it had been spoiled because um, I had spoiled this card over on the Transform Your Game podcast uh, like over a year ago after playing against uh, Ken Sumer in a uh, Octagon tournament. Yeah. And so he uh, basically a lot of people were worried about the power level and i can understand it because they're like oh my god it's a it's a bold two for fangry it's a it's a move of damage it's a free flip for shockwave and it's like yes but it's still you have to set up and it's just like wedge formation wedge formation is incredibly powerful if you can get two or all three of the modes uh and assault formation is in a similar situation it's very powerful if you can get all the modes but it's getting circumstances where those modes are effective is really hard and i actually made it a point to not let assault formation draw cards because i didn't want it to be uh i didn't want it to replace wedge formation it's definitely you unique from it and it's kind of the the specialist thing it is really really strong but like you say you got to build around it you know we we had a another formation in our sam which is even more of a build around card and it's like you have to, to to get the best out of that card, you have to build around it because otherwise you're just playing it like playing it for the pips really. I like wedge formation. The amount of times I've seen that in decks where there's only one or two of the trait types and they're not even bothered about the third, like it is it is powerful. But like if you go in that route and it is, you know, like you know the example you use. If you take major shockwave, yeah, flipping major shockwaves insanely good, but he's fourteen stars. Yeah. Right. You haven't got a lot of give and take for another two characters. And if you do have other things that have those traits, then they're generally going to be lower health pools anyway, and they just die. 
So it's, it, you know, those cars diminish in their power as characters get knocked off. So you normally only get, by the end of the game, you're only getting one of those choices and it might not be the choice you really want. Right. So. And, that, and that's the same That's the same thing that Wedge Formation has is that it's good early on, but as the game goes long, its power level wanes based on the actual state of your board. Like, oh, cool. I give one of my melee characters bold too. They're all tapped. I get to move a damage from one of my ranged characters. He's undamaged. I get to flip a specialist. I'm not playing one. Yeah, or he's dead. <laughs> they're, yeah. all, they're all dead, Dave. They're all dead. Everybody's dead, Dave. Not Chen! Gordon Bennett, yes, Chen, everybody. Everybody's dead, Dave. <laughs> Wait. Are you trying to tell me everybody's dead? <laughs> you know, it's... Like, it's really cool. So so when did the movie creep into to it? Because obviously the, the artwork and stuff like that. Was the artwork chosen much later? Yes. Um, so the, the, the movie inspiration, like after I had figured out the abilities that I wanted for the card, I'm like, huh, this is a really cool card. What would be a good artwork? And then I thought back to the movie when uh, Magnus, RC, and Springer landed on the planet of junk and they get besieged by the Junkions. I just remember very vividly that uh, RC immediately goes off and starts fighting one of the uh, one of the Junkions. Springer transforms into his helicopter mode, and then Ultra Magnus just starts opening fire. And so that that was the that was the inspiration for the art. Um, and it, and it turns out Wave Three uh, Wave Three RC is melee. Wave Three Ultra Magnus is ranged. Wave Four Springer is a specialist. Oh look! What a coincidence! <laughs> what a coincidence! <laughs> no, it's it's a it's a really fantastic card. It's a staple of my decks now. Assault Formation is always a strong contender because even if you only get two parts of it, it's a strong card. Uh, but I don't think it's busted, and I think people there was a lot there was a big um, kind of like outcry. Oh my god, Perceptor and it's horrible. It's like Perceptor's got to be in the what in the specialist mode to make use of it, and if he's not, you know, it's all timing, isn't it? It's all right. It, it's it's situationally very powerful, but it's also situationally not very powerful. But it's still a genu generally good card, and there's yes. nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely, and I think you know. Powerful cards should be included because if you don't include anything powerful, there's a, there's a difference between powerful and broken. Yes, there's a big difference between those two things, and like it is important to have your sets as being exciting. You know, there are powerful cards in Arc Wave One. There is no doubt about that. Scorponok, powerful. Sideswipe, powerful. Bumblebee, powerful. Galvatron, powerful. You know, Assault Formation, powerful. There's a lot of powerful cards in it, but I apart from a couple of interactions that were addressed early or are being addressed now, I don't think it's a broken set. I don't think there's brokenness in there, apart from maybe Retgar, but yeah. that's Lee. Lee. Lee hates that guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I know I know that I know this I know that that's something that's being looked into. So, you know, and that's well, the good not, thing. It's not you know, Retgar, the is it? It's his strategy. Unstop unstoppable. Yeah. Unstoppable is unstoppable. <laughs> it lives up to its name. <laughs> The feedback about Unstoppable has been heard, and there is a change in the works. Yeah, and that's good. Again, it comes back to you're acknowledging that, and, and as a group of, of content creators, you are taking steps to make it so it's less oppressive. Right. And I think that's the main thing, isn't it? Like, you know, at the end of the game, if something is oppressive, you go, well, well, that's not what we want, um, and, and it can be changed. You know, I think what I'd like to see personally from from 
the community and I know Adam's about to fire off Encounter 4 very soon there's a few more tournaments with ARC cards being legal something that I'm definitely looking to do if we do do something here in the UK because the UK scene is very very quiet and I would like to get some sort of tournament whether it be an in-person thing at a convention because Boris has said that COVID's over apparently on the 19th um <laughs> It's it's you yeah, know it's like done. either we do like something it's done. It's it done. Doesn't we're, we're, it we're doesn't fine. exist anymore. It was all a big conspiracy theory, you know. Exactly. It's, it's oh jeez. Like, <sighs> but you know whether we do it in person or via <laughs> webcam, I think it'd be nice to see some more tournament data from the art because without data it's very hard, isn't it? I think when you look into changing things, you need that data, which oh, is why feedback's so important. Yes, um, and and it was um, the two two of the cards that we changed right after we released Wave One, uh, Megatron, Autobot, Bane, and the uh, Starscream's Create Stratagem, uh, were changed based off of feedback we received right off the bat. But the problem was that getting the data from that feedback was pulling teeth, because it's like we got feedback. You should change this. It's broken. It's an NPE. I'm like, cool. Can you show us an example so that we can? verify it and make sure that we need to change it. It's like, no, you just, you should do this. You should change this. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. Like, please show us the data so that we can, so that we can verify it and change it. Cause we need to make sure that we're not just knee jerk reacting to someone not liking our stuff uh, and making it even worse. And there was a back and forth for a while. And then we finally got the data and we're like, you were right. We're fixing this. And then he came back and said, well, you didn't actually fix it, but whatever. You don't listen to me anyway. All right, dude, you got it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And at the end of the day, if you don't, again, it comes back to thing, just pick and choose what you want to play with. Um, I, I like the fact that you are willing to um, change things if needed. Um, and I know I have submitted feedback, and I know it's being listened to. So, guys out there, if you're listening, and you've got point, you know, not just Art Wave 1, but when Art Wave 2 does drop, if you find something, just let, the guys are all really, really, really cool guys. You know, we, we're friends with a lot of them. You guys are open to feedback, and I think that's vitally important. The same, same with other content creators. We are as well. If you find something, you think, no, that's dumb, tell us, because we can change it. We can change it, and I know the art can as well. So, yeah. Next question, you're up, dude. This is going to be interesting because you love uh, this word. Okay, so I, I think I've got it down. So, cacophonous. Whoa! <laughs> Check me out. I've been practicing. <laughs> cacophonous failure is a great counter card. Uh, why did you choose the name? And have you heard any stories of it being used in a funny way? So, um, I have not heard any stories about cacophonous failure. Um, the card was designed because it was to be an analog to the uh, jam signals, infiltrate, and uh, overrule. It's like, so you had jam signals and infiltrate as blue counter orange, or orange counter blue and blue counter orange. Then you had overrule as black counter white, and uh, Bayformers made lost in transit, which is white counter black. So I figured that means green counters blank and blank counters green. Um, so I decided to make the green counter blank, which was cacophonous failure. And the main reason I made this card was because I hate I Still Function. Wait, I still function. <laughs> I, I hate that card so much. I, I just hate playing against it because it's never interesting when it's played. It's literally, oh, you just spent all that time killing one of my best characters. All right, well, here he is. Here's a grenade launcher. Have fun. Get wrecked. <laughs> and there's no, there's no fail state to I Still Function. It's literally get back your best character, suit him up with a grenade launcher, and then just kill something. Uh, and, and there's there's no real counterplay. There's no 
the the whole idea behind it um, and, and the reason why Wheelie was on the it was on the art was because the art was uh, the art description that I wanted was Wheelie being a little shit. <laughs> that was that was the literal <laughs> art description. And because all Wheelie did in the movie was speak in rhyme, and he had an incredibly grating voice. You're the wrong way. You fool, I say. Me, Grimlock, fool. He's he's online with Huffer, isn't he? For like yeah. that annoying voice, like Wheelie and Huffer. Oh, though now that I think about it, I really wish we had swapped one Abet and Cacophonous Failure, because I think if they were swapped, they would fit a lot better. Because one Abet stop is the exact same thing, or is exactly what Starscream said to Megatron at the end or in the movie before he tossed him out of Astro Train. Whereas uh, Cacophonous Failure seems like something Wheelie would do to Perceptor. Yes. Yes. Just, just being loud and annoying and, and disrupting Perceptor and keeping him from getting cards under him. Mm. I, I think an interesting thing that probably some people don't realize with Cacophonous Failure is it can stop secret actions, can't it? Yes, uh, because secret actions are played face down, have no characteristics, which means they have no battle icons, so the game treats them as blanks. And, and as such, Cacophonous Failure can just stop it entirely. I've just told Lee how to beat my secret actions deck. Just play a playset of Cacophonous Failure, and I cry. I believe I believe you've not just told me, but you've also told the whole internet. So thank you very much, Dave. Much appreciated. But guaranteed, you know for a fact that I probably might not put this in the deck due to the fact I can't pronounce it all the time. I'm just like this is a this is an effing failure. Uh, I've just got to reveal it now and just there, deal with it. <laughs> but I think that's that's the story that I've heard. That is the funniest thing is countering a secret action because they are. Th th there's more cards that interact with, the, with them now, particularly we had Counter Espionage in Wave 5, and I know community sets are interacting with them more now. Obviously, Cacophonous Failure is one of those cards. Like, there are ways to deal with them. Yes. I think it's... it's um, And it's good that there is. There, there should never be something that can't be countered in a, in a game. There should always be a counterbalance to it. So I think that's right. really cool. And answers don't always need to be better than their, the threats that they're answering, but they shouldn't be worse. Yeah. Um, especially the more specific an answer is. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's really cool that it that has that interaction as well. So this is the, the next question, just blit, blitzing through, because we're, we're not even halfway. Matt, <laughs> um, man, he's just, just sitting there with poutine laughing right now. Just like, go on, answer all <laughs> my questions. It's fine. You know. So the next one, this is, a, this is um, an interesting one. This is for Feral Tenacity which is a really interesting card that I looked at when Art Wave 1 came out. And his question is, will we see an update to, to it in Wave 2? And is there any love for the Predacons coming? Because I found with, with Tenacity, sorry, buddy, um, that it, it losing the counters at the end of the turn meant quite often it didn't actually do much. Yeah, so um, the reason why I made it it originally lost the counters when the character attacked, not at end of turn. And then I panic nerfed it to end of turn because I didn't want people to like build up the the counters and, and get just massive attack. And I realized, I realized after we released that, that really wasn't a terrible thing because one, it's an armor, so it, it has the consistency of tissue paper. And two, <laughs> it requires the character taking damage. A lot of hits uh, to really build it up. And most characters don't really have the health or the self-damage to be able to sustain that. Right. And it's 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 not for each point of damage, it's for each instance of damage being dealt, isn't it? So right. if you get hit for 10, 
it's only one counter on feral tenacity. Right. And so I think I would, uh, going back, I would like to change it to when the character attacks to lose the counters instead of just end of your turn. Um, and I think it would be significantly better. As for the second half of that question, with love for the Predacons, yes. Um, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything just yet. But Arcwave Two, like I said, is going to be a combiner-focused wave, and we're not leaving out the Wave Two combiners. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> awesome. That's exciting. There's there's another another. Um... Bit of a news for those that are eager for Art Wave 2, that is really cool to hear because I love the combiners from, from Wave 2 um, and it'd be great to have some new stuff for them. I know I know some groups, we included, have done stuff for some of them, but not all of them have been touched. It'd be really cool to see like Predaking get a bit of a power boost and um, Optimus Maximus maybe. Mm. You never know, you do like your Sentinels, Carl. So oh, I, I love, they're what got me into the game. There we go. We had to bring up the Sentinels, didn't we? We had to we, bring up the Sentinels. I played that deck and I cried. It was insane. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I played against that deck too. It made me cry. <laughs> it made me rage quit. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. It's it's insane. That deck is really, really good. And surprisingly, we'll catch you off guard. <laughs> Literally. Absolutely. So the next part, Lee, you're up. Cool. So, um, Racing Stripes is another card that is uh, specific to a trait. Why did you design it only for certain characters? So, this goes back to what I said earlier. Um, Sentinels is, is the team that got me into the game. Uh, because when I first saw the game, I saw Wave 1, I'm like, oh, that's really neat. I bought two of the starter pack, but I didn't actually invest into uh, Wave 1 packs. I bought the Metroplex starter deck. Um, when that came out, but I still didn't really get into the game. And then Wave 2 was announced, and they showed Optimus Maximus, and I'm just like, here's my wallet. <laughs> That's what happens, um, man. That's what happens. But, uh, so Sentinels were what got me into the game, and I also really enjoyed the Stunicons, and I wanted to make a card that would work for both of them. Um, and yes, I'm aware the art for Racing Stripes chose Jazz, which is neither a Sentinel Nora Stunicon, you can stop yelling at me now. <laughs> did, did you have say in the artwork? Probably not. Uh, right? Not really. Um, I actually I actually did not. Uh, for Wave 1, I mostly just floated concepts. My situation at the time didn't really allow me to do uh, playtesting, so I mostly just theorycrafted a bunch of stuff, and I, I didn't even really have the ability to find art resources. So I'm just like, Here, here's my idea for a card, here's the kind of art that I would like for it, whatever you can get. Um, originally, uh, as a joke, they, ha uh, they found a screenshot of the G1 cartoon where Rumble was riding on drag strip. And I was like, please use that art. That would be amazing. But no, we ended up going with the jazz art. We've got jazz. And I think it's really cool, like racing choice, because the the card itself, it, it seems like, why can't cars have it? And there's a good reason for that, because cars are insanely strong anyway. They're one of the strongest tribes in the game. So it's really cool that you were able to power up Sentinels, motorbikes, and the Stunticons without yes. busting another tribe, you know, splash damage. Oh, Cars are also really good with this as well. So I, I gave I gave it to motorcycles specifically because I didn't want to give it to cars or trucks. And also I figured motorcycles, because the, the, the thought process I had behind it was the characters being attacked, so they kind of deflect the blow and counterattack in the same motion, kind of like a jujitsu or martial arts move. Kind yes. of thing, and I figured motorcycles would be the third, or would be the most likely 
contrive to be able to do that outside of Stunicons with their craziness and the Sentinels with their combat prowess. Yes, mm, yeah. and it, it you know it also helps out a, a tribe that's a little bit lackluster as well. You know they're getting a bit more love now with with obviously you guys had Retgar, um, Bayformers have done quite a few nice motorbike cards. We did a motorbike card as well. I think motorbikes are getting improved, but at the time of Art Wave One coming out, motorbikes were kind of like it. You know you had like Flame War was really good, RC who was pretty good, and then the others. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I played against your Stunticons with Racing Strikes, and I kind of underestimated that card. It is it can do some gnarly stuff. Yeah, uh, the 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 whole counterattack uh, idea was something that I really enjoyed. The I mean, granted, it it does put your opponent in a hostage situation of sorts at times, where it's like, oh well, no matter what I do, I can't. Uh, I, I, I'm going to die before I get to do anything because the damage from racing stripes is done before attack damage is calculated. So it, it can kill, it can potentially kill an attacker before they get the chance to do anything. But the, the thing of it is though, it's an armor. So again, bashing shield, it's tissue paper. And then also it requires you to build your deck to flip more colors than just blue. So you can't, you can't effectively run it in just a mono blue deck. No. And it really does need to be in a mixed pip deck, and that's what your Stunticons were. And I was like, "What does this do?" Oh my god, my guy's dead. It's it's really cool. So next question, moving on. This is there's been a lot of talk about this card in the community recently. Trithelium plating. How good is it, and is it too good? It is very good. Um, and it is one of those, it has definitely caused a number of feel-bads uh, for certain players, um, because there are there are certain deck archetypes where Trithelium Plating will just shut them out of the game. There's literally nothing they can do. There are ways around it, and there are also deck archetypes where it will do literally nothing. Uh, but is it too good? There's a good chance of that. Um, we When we were creating it, uh, Salty, Joe, and I were basically of the mindset of screw Pierce. It is too powerful. We need to we need to stop it. So uh, we based it off of uh, point defense system from Wave Three, which is why it has the Pierce reduction two. But we're like, well, that's good, but it should give plus one defense um, because point defense system is useless by its it is just useless because it doesn't give any kind of defensive bonus other than reducing peers and so we gave it the plus one defense and then we're like well how about if we let it be stackable and then how about if we give it the tandem targeting system ability to play an extra copy out of your scrap pile um and then we decided to give it a blank icon because that way it to make it a real cost to play this card, you have to run the risk of just stuffing your battle flips. Because I have had multiple games where I play Trithelium playing, and I'm like, ah, this is a critical defense turn. I need to flip at least one blue to survive. And I go, try play, try play. And I'm just like, sad trombone. I think it's a really good card. And I think it allowed an archetype that was completely shut out of the game at wave five yes to to come back into the game i i i i've played with and against triplating a lot there are games where it definitely wins the control player or the defensive player's game it definitely has the potential to do that but if you're playing in an environment where there is triplating there are multiple ways of dealing with it 
Yes. Disarm, disarm, wrecks it. Like all your triplatings back on your character. I'll swing home with my massive pierce and, and wreck you. There are ba bashing shield exists, reprocess, disassemble. There are other community created cards. We've just designed two cards that are designed with the fact that triplating exists in an effort to bring that kind of that balance curve back around. We we had Matifer inputted Impetuous Stand into phase one and I designed armor piercing munitions which help tanks out against decks with um, triplate. I, I think it's very strong. I don't think it's broken and I don't think it's too powerful. I think it's on the on the cusp of, it's very playable. Yes. But I don't think it's unbeatable. I I think looking back, it probably would have been just fine if it was Pierce Reduction One instead of Reduction Two because negating Pierce Six is, is a lot. Um, and I I have had games. Uh, I I when I first joined the Bayformer server and was playing games with uh with the with our regulars, there would be games where I was just terrorized them with Captain Omega, and I would have my Omega Supreme combine with like seven or eight damage on him and then get three triplatings on him and they just literally couldn't do anything. They, he, I would end the game with an almost fully repaired Captain Omega. Yeah, it's definitely a strong card. I think it's, it's up there with one of the most powerful from Art Wave 1. You know, what are your thoughts, Lee? Because I've run triplating against you a lot and you've run triplating against me a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to have to agree with both of you. It sounds like a cop-out, but there are ways around it. I feel like there's answers out there that stop powerful cards. Like, I, I will gladly go and say, I think Trifillion playing is a really powerful card. It's in incredible for blue. Like, I've been playing it a ton uh, in certain decks, and especially blue control. It's really, really strong. But the funniest thing about it is there's downsides to it. It has no pip. That kind of, like, kicks you in the, like, the nuts a lot hard when it comes on the flip side. If you don't get them out at all during a game, it kicks you in the nuts again. But it is, I really like it just because I think, I think, Carl, you put it the best way possible. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin, double middle fingers up to Pierce. Because that is the biggest problem in the game. When, when the game ended... The, the Pierce Pip was a problem and it was and it just made blue irrelevant. And it was kind of sad because it was fun. Like the game wasn't bad when you went against blue players. It was like, oh, I just have to change my kind of mojo, my style of thinking against this. Uh, I can always think of the game against Matifer. He'll give me a shout out because we're answering his question where he disarmed my Omega Supreme who had three Trifillion platings and a cannon and loads of other fun stuff and then because he was cool enough to play Brainstorm uh, he decided to do a security checkpoint on me <laughs> that happened and it Brussel. was it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen I, I thought the picture of that was a leap of faith not a Brainstorm oh yeah sorry it was a leap of faith into... oh man that's even more feel bad yeah it is there was an <laughs> yeah it was that's, insane that's, right, that's the we were laughing decree. we were laughing because we were like <laughs> okay we'll leap of faith Okay, cool. Uh, disarm would be hilarious. Oh, it's a disarm. You know what would be brutal? Yeah, security checkpoint. Security checkpoint. Literally, we were just like, hilariously just like, that's the perfect turn. And and they happen in games, period. But it is one of the funniest things of like Matt's and my ever interactions with him uh, via webcam for games where... <sighs> yeah, it was it was a sad time for Omega. But yeah, uh, getting back to the uh, the thing in, in, in the question in hand, Trifilium isn't an issue. Like 
obviously um, there's removal in the game that stops it. There's cards that stop it. You just have to do kind of like target prioritization. Like seriously, like Dave knows, like he's he played try in a lot of his decks and as soon as they've got to three, it's been a problem. Like hilariously, my, my bombshell wave two deck, if three trifiliums go on him, game over, man. Game over to quote Hudson. You know, I think that there are it's it's endemic in any any card game. Like, there's always going to be strong archetypes. There's always going to be things that you might face, and that's where the meta game comes in. That's where you plan what's in your deck to yeah. have things. And if you don't have it in your main deck, you sure as hell pack it in your sideboard. 100%. Um, so you know, I think that's that's my take on it. Like I've started to play with sideboards more, particularly when we're recording matches, because some games can be very one-sided without a sideboard. Um, and I think that's something that everyone needs to to sort of have that mindset, particularly around tournament play, is make sure your sideboard is is geared up um, to take on those things. Because there are horrible strategies out there. There are decks that draw thirty cards and just you know fire drive you off the board with a steamroll. You're like, well, that was dumb. But there are ways around that. There are cards that, that wreck hands, wreck lots of upgrades in, this, in the same game, you know. Even crazy. What's that card from Wave 1? Um, sal is it Salvage for parts? Blow everything up. Just blow it all up. Yeah. You know, that'll be... Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, we've, we've ranted on there a bit, haven't we? Um, we love a good rant, though. We love a rant. We're British. We love a good rant. Yes. <laughs> We're like queuing and arguing. That's the queuing, two things we arguing. really like doing. Yeah, 100%. Right, number seven. We're almost done with you, Matt. Affair. We're almost done with you. Hopefully you have finished with that uh, poutine as well while uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, number seven, he says, what is your number one favorite art card, Bayformers and Turbo Revving Old Punks? And it can be a character, a battle card, or a stratagem. What are your number one? Oh, that's... Uh, I'm going to have to cop out on this one. Um, <laughs> so... I really don't have one just because uh, one for a couple of reasons. I, I'm not while I while I helped set uh, while I helped build the arc set and went through all of it. I have the memory of a goldfish, um, so like there there's a, a lot of uh, certain things I retain and know forever, like rules and and uh, and certain random bits of trivia uh, but then there are other things where I'll just look over it once and just be like eh, it's not important enough to retain just toss it to the side like the contents of the set that I worked on um, <laughs> but uh, and not only that but there's just so many cards um, that it's really hard to just narrow it down to one favorite card uh, and obviously, I'm, I'm assuming there's the caveat that I can't pick the, the stuff that I worked on. Um, <laughs> so, and the other thing is, I'm always looking forward to the new stuff, the new interactions. Like, there's a bunch of stuff coming out in, in the upcoming in uh, uh, in Wave BFB and in Arc Two that I'm really excited to see play with the old stuff, with the current stuff, and see how it all interacts. Um, obviously, I can't say one thing or the other for that. But I guess, out of the arc, I think one of my favorite cards would have to be... Um, despite the fact that I have yet to build a deck with him, I really like the design of Scorponok. Um, I, I liked the idea of the, the one-man titan that doesn't have... Well, granted, he has a secondary mode in that you go to Zarek, but he can carry the game by himself. He's not... He doesn't have to win the game on the back of his deployable. Um, so... 
so I guess I will go with Scorponok for, for Ark. There we go. Awesome. Um, as for Bayformers, um, let's see. Actually, I kind of like Crash Bash. Uh, I like his I like his ability to mess with combat math. I like his ability to uh, move damage and how he's effective in both. In he plays best in a mixed deck, but he works just as well in blue as he does in orange. He's very very he's good. He, he's guy. very versatile. He's a little worrisome in that he's a six star body, which means you can actually go seven wide um, with Crash Bash, Horrible, Fangry, the three one star heads, and a four star. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which which I which I did and uh, and I made uh, Adam play it in one of his events. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. So, yeah, it was, he, he he did make the cut, didn't he? As well. So. Yeah. And then as for turbo revving, um, geez, hold on, let me pull up your set so I can actually look through <laughs> here it. Here we go. Uh, here we go. This is the one like Matt right, is uh, like, is he gonna burn bridges with the foreigners? <laughs> That's what he's uh, wanting to do. So well, it is just after Independence Day, after it all. It is, you so. know, that's exactly what's happening right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was a week ago. <laughs> About a week ago. <laughs> Actually, I like Soundwave Superior. Yes. There you go, Dave. There you go. Because it it gives it gives Soundwave play. Um, it, it it gives incentive to play Soundwave again, and and I always liked uh, the Wave Three, or I always liked the uh, the the Blaster for Soundwave Soundwave. Um, who's actually getting some some more support in Arg Wave Two? I should mention. Um, nice. He's getting another little buddy that I've been working on. Hmm, awesome. That makes there me very a happy. There's a few that are still not like out there. Like other fan sets have made some, but there's still like there's loads. It's it's funny like how many cassettes that guy can carry at once. It's ridiculous. That that's, that that's really really like Soundwave Superior is one of the ones that's got changed so many times as well. So. That's really cool, and I, I think it kind of like for us the uh, the whole theme thing was like let's get it theme, and he is their espionage spy master, so why wouldn't he make use of them? So the last question, this is a bit of a weird one, really, isn't it? Who's your favourite Canadian Orange Car Transformers TCG deck player? I, as far as I'm aware, there's only one person that plays Orange Cars in the entire country. So well, yeah, I mean, I can't. I know who it is. It's it's straight up. It's Susie, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, Suze. Susie, right? <laughs> well, actually, I, I was going to say Vangelis, but he plays blue cars. There we go. So it's Susie. We all agree on this. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll ask the next serious question. So this is from Joe from, from uh, Weck and Wool. Can't even speak Weck anymore. Wreck Re and Rule. Um, has anyone ever ignored a ruling you've made? Has anyone disregarded an adjusted wording on a custom car that you supplied? Have either of the outcomes bothered or annoyed you, i.e. Joe from Wreck and Rule? I need mean, to said Wreck and Wool again. Wreck and Rule. <laughs> In it, bruv. Um, ask, you for, <laughs> ask you for an adjusted wording on a card. You supply it. Joe ignores it anyway. Joe releases, redacted, anyway, with the incorrect wording. Thoughts on that? So the answer to the first question, all the time. Uh, the answer to the second question, even more often. And the answer to the third question, uh, the first for the first one kind of the second one not really uh, again like I said before I am not an official authority on how cards on how cards are supposed to be worded I do go out of my way to try and find examples to fortify my position so to speak and, and say that here's why I think it should be this way based on this this and this that's already been established or based on this, this, and this from Magic, which has a similar effect and uses similar templating. But uh, as for the rulings, yes, it does kind of annoy me a bit because I have, 
as I mentioned, I go out of my way to try and make sure the game's being played correctly and to make sure players understand the rules as they're supposed to work. And, and so when people are, and it's part of the reason why I'm a judge in Magic is, uh, it happens all the time where people, in, where I'm like, where somebody says, hey, how does this work? And I'm like, here's how it works. And like, I don't believe you. And then I say, well, here's the actual ruling from Wizards that says this is how it works. And they're like, oh. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not going to play that way. And actually, with the uh, with the adjusted wording um, thing, it, it happens all the time, both with Transformers and with Magic. When I, I, I sometimes trawl the custom card forums in Magic and say, that's not how this is supposed to work. If you wanted to do this, this, and this, here's how it should be worded. And they're like, oh, okay. And, the, and then they adjust the wording. They don't actually fix the problems. They're like, thanks, Technomages, for all your work. And I'm just like... I want nothing to do with this. This is not what I told you it was supposed <laughs> to do. Do like not bring me into this. It's like the Homer Simpson going back into the head meme or gif, just like yeah. sliding back in. Off I go. Yeah. That's a that's an interesting one. Like, I think... Don't ever watch the Energon Hustlers, if, if you haven't already, <laughs> because the amount of play errors I make... I, I'm terrible at missing triggers and stuff. And I've, I've, I've seen, you know, you, you know, when you've been watching, you're like, Dave, that's not a permanent. Just tidy that up. Do you know how I became uh, known by the Wreck and Rule guys? I would go on their videos and timestamp every single play error that they made and told them, no, this is how it's supposed to work. This is why this was wrong. This is what you're supposed to do. You forgot to do this. <laughs> and for some reason, they appreciated that. And when Frenchie came down to uh, raid one of our Energon Invitationals in my home state of Maryland, um, I, I got to talking with him. And uh, and then I one-shot his Scrapnel on turn one with, uh, with Prowl. <laughs> And he wow. <laughs> fell in love with my Secret Sentinels deck, and then I went up to I went up to Jersey to meet with them and, and play with them, and and they welcomed me with open arms. That's awesome. Yeah. Like you know, we we definitely make mistakes, and and I, you know I know I'm not perfect. You know, I think a lot of the time when we're when we're doing stuff, and when you're recording stuff, it's very when you go back and watch it, you're like, oh my god, like how did I miss that? How did I not do that then? And it just happens in the heat of the moment, and like quite often it's late. You know, it'll be pushing 10, 11 o'clock at night, and my children are normally up at the crack of dawn because the sun rises and they decide that it's time to get up. And, you know, people make mistakes. But I think there's a dif there's a difference, isn't there? Like, you know, when you're making mistakes, like when you're just playing casually, and within, within the sort of framework of a tournament, that's where judges are very, very important. Right, and there's nothing wrong with making a mistake. Mistakes happen, we are human, we are not perfect. The important thing is to acknowledge the mistake, Fix it if you can, and then move on. Don't don't hang on to it for the rest of your life. Going, oh, I made this mistake. I'm a horrible person, or whatever. That that's not the point. Judges are not there to get you. They are there to fix the game, and then and then let you continue playing. They don't want. They don't like. At least. I don't like handing out penalties if I don't have to. Like, oh, you made a mistake. All right, well, this was what was supposed to happen. And and you can usually tell when you interact with a person whether they were genuinely, they, they're genuinely shocked that, oh, I didn't know that was supposed to happen, or, oh, you caught me. And usually it's the genuine, that that's how it was supposed to happen? Oh, well, all right, well, I guess I'll do that in the future. And you just let them carry on. You, you don't hold it against them. You don't say, "Oh well, now I'm going to have to I'm going to have to write you up and have you do this that this and that for the rest of your life." No, it's a all right. Just make sure you don't do it again. 
at worst it's a slap on the wrist um and then it's you if it's like oh well you caught me i guess i i guess you i couldn't win you over that that's when there's the problem and we're like okay that's not good yeah th there's a big difference isn't there that like you know there's a difference between like unintentional errors and when you just make a mistake and you forget and then there's cheating right and there's there's the two very different things and that's that's a whole nother like can of worms yeah. we could open and talk about at a later date the most important thing to remember about cheating is that cheating requires intent you cannot accidentally cheat because in order to in order to cheat you need to know you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing and get an advantage as a result of it yeah. yeah. If you if you know you're not doing some if you know you're not doing something you're supposed you're not supposed to be doing, then you shouldn't be doing that in the first place. And you should either stop yourself or say call over a judge and say, hey, can I do this thing? I'm not sure if I can. And that's the thing is that judges are not there to again judges are not there to get you. They're there to clarify and to make sure you do something you're not supposed to do. Um, so never be afraid to call for a judge if you're uncertain of what's going on. Hundred percent. So that way. You can get an understanding of what's supposed to happen and make sure that you don't do something you're not. And that rings true in any game. Doesn't doesn't have to be Transformers, doesn't have to be magic. It can be any game system you're playing competitive, whether it be Warhammer, X-Wing, you know, Legend of the Five Rings, whatever. You, you know, there's so many games that play competitively, Yu-Gi-Oh, whatever. Judges are there to help you, they're not there to punish you. It's true. But we are all guilty, and I, I believe everything you guys have already said like we record stuff and then we look back on it and we cry like dave's video with devastator he missed one tower trigger luckily enough it didn't affect the game but i cried because i was like no 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 wait a minute i just need to rewind that no nope. oh, i definitely missed, missed more it? than one i missed i did i did it three I, times i know i, I was i was being kind with one but i was really sad because obviously i've been playing him a lot so i'm always like I did have a moment where I think my next door neighbors heard me go like, Dave, what are you doing? Dave! Like literally just yelling. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, yeah. that's but, like, hey, like I said, that's what happens. You make a mistake, you, you fix it, and then you, you carry on. You don't you don't hold it against the person. Like I was uh, eight years or nine years ago now. Holy crap, nine years. Um, I was in a feature match at, for Magic, and, um, and I made a game player where I searched my library for a card that was supposed to go into my hand, and I just left it on the table without even thinking about it because I was operating on an hour of sleep after <laughs> running, yeah. after running, uh, judging a tournament until three in the morning. Um, that's a story wow. for a whole other time. Uh, but th they caught it, and they're like, hey, that's supposed to be in your hand. I'm like, oh, yes, it is. So I put it in my hand, and we carried on because it was caught, and it was fixed. Yeah, it... It's it's what happens. I love it when we did uh, when we do battle reports where we 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 notice that we've done something wrong and then we put in we made mistakes so you don't have to tell you what we've done wrong and if it affects the game well it's already happened so wah, 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 wah. but if it hasn't well we can only improve because we are only human exactly enough said and that's it and like you say you know you 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 said exactly that you were running on on hardly any sleep quite often when we're recording it's late at night and we are tired mistakes happen you know um sometimes we might not be familiar with how a card react uh, interacts or whatever and you might make a judgment call wrong you know we normally stop and I, i'll try and look in the expanded rules and, and find the answer to that question but I, you know we don't always get it right um and that's why people like carl are there to help support the community and and judge in an impartial way 100 percent. so moving on we <laughs> have a, a question from olgar and uh, before we say it, i'm just going to play the wayne's world clip we're not worthy we're not worthy we're not worthy 
That's right. We are not worthy of how many games you play, sir. We are not worthy. <laughs> He's uh, an and animal. what do you think <laughs> is the best way to bring the community together and keep it as strong as possible and as welcoming as possible for new players? Because I believe Ogar's quite a newish player in himself, if I don't want to like say he is, but I know I I believe he's he he started playing as the game was dying, I believe. Yes, he uh I believe he told me he started like right as right at the beginning of wave five. Um and he he basically is like man's a beast with how many games he's played over on the, the uh Vector Sigma server. It's like I think he's over a thousand games now or something. It's recorded. It's, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah, that is that is absurd. Props to him for that kind of dedication. But as for his question, uh, the first part is the second half of that question, welcoming new players, is the most important thing. A game lives and dies by how welcoming it is to new players. So the important thing about that is uh, clean, concise rules and, and templating. Minimal amounts of jargon or words, attempt, uh, basically definitions of in-game terminology that they have to learn, as well as just good gameplay experience like a new you don't have to let the new player win but when, but if you do beat them don't just overly crush them don't don't like just drain their will to to live by dragging out a game as long as possible S show them like hey here's how here's how the game works let's go over a quick gameplay demo i'll show you like here's how attack and defense works here's how the battle flips work here's how playing cards works Let's play a quick game. Um, just and also, don't ever bring your best deck against a new player. If I were if I were to bring my absolute A tier best deck to, against a new player, I'd be playing Daring Escape, and no one wants that. Yeah, I, I you know we we touched on 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 a previous episode. <clears throat> this is a match that runs through from any game you play. Don't be a dick. Like yep. welcome those new players. Do not be. Don't be a dick because. If someone has that negative play experience, they're just going to go, right, I am never playing this game again. I'm never going to come and play with you guys because you were horrible to me and I didn't enjoy it. What is the point? And, you know, that rings through. I play a lot of competitive X-Wing. We've got several new players in Plymouth and we're able to just finally start meeting each other and playing face-to-face -face again. Like, don't just don't crush people, like you say, Carl. It's, it's a big thing. Don't take out your S-tier deck on game one. Take out your C-tier deck. And also toss them a C tier deck or maybe a B tier deck, like a, a slightly better deck, and say, and say, let's let's go over the game, and and I'll walk you through it, and we can talk strategy, uh, like of how your deck works while we're playing, or you can try and figure it out, or if you want to try and figure it out yourself, we can we can let you make your own decisions and say, well, here's an here's here's a suggestion, or you could do this, and give them give them the agency to make their own decisions, and then also an, another good thing, give them cards giving them a seed to start with, whether it's a starter deck or or even a pre-con or just a handful of cards that build, that build a, a semi-cohesive deck. Don't build them the best deck you can possibly give them, but give them a deck that can split off into different directions depending on what aspects of it they like. We did that in Plymouth before we had new, like people would come over and like, what are you playing? We're like Transformers. Oh, I like that as a kid. Oh, I've got all these commons and uncommons that I don't, I don't need. Some of the, you know, like, you know, how many improvised shields do people need? You know, but they're staples, aren't they? They've always been a staple of double orange and stuff like that. Right. Just to share, nurture new players, 
it's really key, I think, just to just to be nice, just be to behave, you know, treat people as you'd like to be treated. You know, the amount of times that Magic, you know, I played quite competitive Magic for between two thousand and four and two thousand fourteen. I was very very active within the UK community, and I had some very negative experiences at Pro Tour qualifiers and Grand Prix, where you. Because I was new to that high level competitive play then, and I get absolutely destroyed by one of the pros, and they literally get up, walk away, barely shake your hand, do nothing, like not interact with you after the game. If you're playing someone that isn't experienced, go through their gameplays and you know sort of nurture them rather than just going right. I smashed you. Bye. Thanks for the two 0 victory. Bye. Well, I do agree with that. The issue with that is that the the larger competitive events like your Pro Tours and your Grand Prix, they're not intended to really be newcomer friendly. Of course, that doesn't stop them from doing it. Um, and it, it's setting or like the, most of the people who come to those kinds of major events aren't really coming there as their first time. So they're, they're not expecting other people to be fresh off the block, brand new players. They're expecting people who are who are experienced with the game, have some idea of what they're doing, and have played in a few local events like their FNMs or their pre-releases or whatever, and at least have an idea of what they're getting into with the higher power, higher tier uh, opponents. Um, but again, I do agree that like you introduce yourself, say, hey, I'm a newer player, this is my first major event, and hopefully that will soften them up. I wouldn't want them to go easy on you, especially at a competitive event, but at least be a little more open to communicate, communication, and, and especially after the game, in case the game was a win, you know, go over strategy or whatever, suggestions for the deck. Um, but some players don't really have that kind of communication skills, as much as I don't want to say it or call anyone out and they they don't really know how to handle uh less experienced players so they're just like i'm just going to disengage from this before it gets before it potentially gets any worse yeah um i feel like it, the the community is in a really cool place right now because we've i i think we have two sides of the fence um when it comes to any gaming uh, when it comes to any game you have the competitive side and you have the casual side and I think the community, we have that in Transformers. Like, let's... Uh, uh, ATP have the competitive side of lockdown. Like, if you want to play competitive games and other stuff like that, they are definitely the forefront for competitive play. That's great. I know there's other people out there and I don't want to, you know, throw not throw them any and any good stuff, but they're, they're, they, they, they're doing stuff as well, which is great. Uh, and then you've got the casuals, which is most of us. Um, because sometimes we just, yeah, like Dave and myself, I can say we're casuals because, you know, we want to play stuff that, you know, is fun and just random as well. Like, like, you made fun of me playing Inverted earlier. Like, who the who the heck <laughs> played Inverted? Like, there you go. There's, there's an instance. We are very welcoming to new players. Like, I know for me, for, for our meta, when we had people who were joining... We just had a box of swaps and whatever, and then they were just like, oh, I really want to play that character. That seems really cool. And we'd be like, okay, here's a character and here's a few cards that will make him work really well. And then they'd be like, oh, do you want any money for it? And we're like, no, just take it. Yeah, we'd rather have another you know, person come and play and have some fun. And that was a great introduction for a lot of people because some people would be like, oh, I don't want to, you know, some people don't have disposable income. Uh, and right. they're definitely in an age bracket sometimes as well where you're just like, I can only afford one or two boosters. Uh, instead of like the nowadays where all of us who are like you know TCG like content creators where we're like we're going to do a box unveiling like when I was a kid I'm pretty positive I couldn't buy a box now I can because I've got disposable income um, 
but it was it's like welcoming those new players and then championing those new players i know there's a lot of people in my community that play a specific style and we champion that or they've got a character they really want to work we'll champion them to go cool how can we make it work and i'll always remember um sin who would play and it it boggled me but it was hilarious he played razor claw caliburst and um i i want to say it was shockwave wave one and he basically built a deck where if the things got off well it was bad times for everyone uh, and it came out on trumps for us in one tournament where i was literally playing him and everything that we put in that deck to happen happened in both games and it was only hilariously in the games i played with him <laughs> no other games just mine where it would just basically be like cool you're discarding a card right cool take damage you do this you do that you do this you do that and i was like cool so my guy died um to paper cuts and getting pinged by not even attacking that's insane and it worked and it's those kind of cool interactions with newer players like that that they're going like cool i've got this really cool idea and these people aren't just going it's terrible jog on they're actually championing me and want to do stuff right and i feel like that's what we can do with new sets as well like our our whole theme at the punks is fun and theme and like we've said we're, we're constantly adding punks to uh, our uh, discord and our facebook group who have come and said oh, i would love this to be an idea and we're like cool we could probably put that in a set you know but it might need to be tweaked and then that's also where it comes into championing people to be, you know, maybe your card was too powerful. Let's just look at uh, Foreman. Like enough said, I've talked about him enough. I wanted it to be a diabolic tutor. No, <laughs> yeah. you're dumb. Let it uh, lie. Let, let it, lie. it lie. Exactly. Well, that, let it that goes lie. into the second half uh, as bringing the community together is uh, it's very important to have communication between yeah, the competitive and the casual, um, as well as just the communication between the players, the creators, uh, the avenue to be able to talk to each other, to provide feedback, to help each other with building decks, creating card ideas, accepting feedback, and all that stuff. But the more important thing is you shouldn't focus on one over the other. And also, um, the, the competitive players are actually not, you don't need to cater to them super hard they'll find the best cards on their own that's what they do is they they build the best decks they play the, the tightest games they they put together the strongest strategies you want to be focusing the majority of your designs towards the casual crowd because they're the people who will just play kitchen table what i own without regard to a perfectly curated format or a, or a precise metagame. They'll just be like, hey, this looks really cool. What if I put it with this? That seems fun. Um, so you want to you you want to you want to capture them and then those player those casual players will eventually start seeing uh, will eventually start seeing like the cool the, the power level of the formats and whatnot. And some of them will make the jump into competitive. Some of them will stay forever casual. There's nothing wrong with either path. Uh, but it's you want to try and avoid the competitive versus casual battleground um, because once that happens, that is what starts the rift and that's what starts all the negative feeling. The casual players hate the competitive players because they just want they just do win by any means. The competitive players hate the casual players because all they want to do is goof off and they don't actually want to play the game. And, and and that's just not healthy for anybody. I feel like it's I, uh, the community is awesome. 
uh, I think we're kind of blessed to have an amazing community where we've I know I know several people who have gone out of their way above and beyond to do stuff for people in the community to keep the game alive to just basically play casual games and do whatever and you see it in all the discord groups like you've just got constant tournaments going on or just hangouts where people just want to hang out talk transformers and play and have a bit of banter yeah like it's just a really really great place and you know we're all and the game's free now guys so you can just print stuff like it's easy like it's amazing or even draw it on like card (laughs) like I've done for several things and like peeved a lot of people off because I'm like yeah I don't own that card but here's a stick figure of this guy (laughs) isn't it look cool your octone I was like what is this what is this my octone was incredible I love that what was that that was rubbish it was awesome (laughs) it wasn't rubbish it was proper good it took like literally two minutes I spent more time writing what he did than actually drawing drawing him but to be honest he looked pretty cool for like a two minute it did um but yeah yeah it's great (laughs) you know i think my take on bringing the community together is is be inclusive of everyone like carl said like it doesn't matter whether you're a casual or a competitive or middle ground there are so you know i dabble between the two i will play a competitive day but equally i love putting something janky together just be inclusive welcoming nurture people it's more important now more than ever to be welcoming of people because this game will live or die based on people continuing to play the game because if people stop playing the game it will die and i don't want that carl don't want that lee don't want that none of the others want we we don't want that so just you know and have a dialogue between each other as much as you can um we're pro community uh, uh here at you know, on the podcast, individually as an Energon hustler, I know, you know, speaking for you here, mate, but I know you are as well with Bleep Tower, but equally so with the Turbo Revving. We're kind of like, come and hang out with us, come and play cards. Yeah. We've got people from all over the world now that just, you know, it's all ad hoc, but, you know, we just play cards together and we're playing a game based on a cartoon a lot of us grew up with. And the funniest thing about it is it isn't just a card game. We've, we've all become friends and we have more than just a card game in common. God knows how many times I've like talked to people about American sports or other sports or other hobbies that I do thanks to the TCG. It's funny enough how amazing this community is. Oh yeah. People ha- people have all kinds of interests and what starts as a common interest with some people they start finding out that they have uh, more things in common and that's how friendships are built. And even if they don't have things in common it's still the game brought them together and they're like hey this is cool and they share what they're interested in with other people and they're like oh i've never heard of that can you show me some examples and that's how you grow your community is a a bunch of people who share an interest and then share share their experiences with each other and learn from each other just just play games have fun you know just be nice to each other and have fun and play the game um, great question, Ogar. Thank you for, for asking that. The next question, this is from Siliag, a.k.a. Dan, um, who, who uh, is Pips and Flips on Instagram. So big shout out to you, sir. Um, I was also a, a punk. Um, what is your opinion on the Pierce mechanic of the game, and do you think there is enough counters about for it, both in sets in circulation and going forward? Arc 2, sneak peek, winky face. <laughs> um, so Love it, Dan. when the game first premiered with Wave 1 and Wave 2, uh, Pierce was just an afterthought. No one no one really cared 
uh, too much about it. It showed up in, in little bits here and there. Um, like the biggest amount of pierce you would have is RC with a grenade launcher or bigger they are uh, doing their pierce four chunks. But usually it was just one or two bits. And it, it was just a, like I said, it was an afterthought. Nobody really cared about it because usually you were swinging with such high numbers that pierce didn't matter or um, you're or you were playing orange versus orange and defense didn't matter anyway. Um, it wasn't until wave three introduced the black icon that Pierce really started to rise to prominence. And even with wave three, wave three didn't really bring it into the forefront. It was wave four that did with all the orange black that started showing up. And then wave five, just like full front, uh, here's here's the black icon. It's here to stay with cards like Horrible and and uh, Mind Wipe and... and uh, what was it? Fight for position and mag ray and just all this orange black basically deleted the color blue from the game. Um, and I, I think that as of wave five, yes, Pierce is too powerful. And I think the biggest problem with it is that the black icon lasts until end of turn and not until end of battle, mm -hmm. um, which makes it really import which makes it really annoying because of the wheel turn and because of character and uh, multiple attacks from a single character with stuff like nitro boosters or untaps such as from um from ready for action or, or autobot mirage uh, or wave one mirage and things like that um and so as a result uh it went unchecked, and I think if Wizards had made a Wave 6, we would have seen more answers to Pierce than, than just point defense system and stable cover. Um, as it stands right now, uh, like I know Bayformers and Ark, we've definitely made a bunch of answers to Pierce with um, Bayformers made Tetranite Microlining, Ark made Trithelium Plating, and the combination, uh, like those cards by themselves are fine. Um, but when you in tandem combination of each other, they do get a little excessive. They, they're 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 definitely more powerful together than they are separate. There are answers currently, um, but there will never be an adequate number of answers until some of the orange black gets toned down, uh, or just the, the the appearance rate of orange black gets toned down enough that it that it's not so ubiquitous and and tournament dominating basically. Yeah, we we were mindful when we were making. Um, phase one, like, I don't think there's any orange black in the set. There's the we've got black green and we've got one single black pip, and then we've got a hybrid card that might have pierce if you have the right trait. I think orange black was it was a it's oppressive, it really was oppressive at the end of the game. And it's like you say, blue's like, oh, what's the point? So, I think, I think we need answers. But like you say, it's that pendulum swing, isn't it? It only takes a little bit, and it's way over the other side, and control dominates again. Right, and it's it's concurrent design, basically. A bunch of people trying to answer the same thing, but not talking to each other, and as a result, creating individually fine cards that are oppressive when combined together. And, and there are steps being taken to mitigate that, such as... like aforementioned Bayformers, Turbo Revving, and Arc working together and collaborating to make sure that we don't, the, while that while we're still making our own individual card designs, we're not creating a two-card lock-the-game combo or or a, a, a combination of cards that just shuts off an entire strategy. Yeah, uh, yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Yeah, I feel I feel like I I I hate Pierce with a passion. 
but when you play random jank, such as Soundwave with designated target and swing with all the cassettes, then you go with Soundwave and untap a cassette to do it all again because they all constantly have Pierce 2 if the, your opponent's tapped out. It's just insane and fun, but not fun for your opponent. <laughs> are we are we talking we're talking about Aussie's nitro boosters nonsense? Oh, that is it. That 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 <laughs> deck is just <laughs> I'm gonna do it now. I don't know if it works, but I'm just gonna there we go. Hit my head on the microphone. That's how annoying that deck is. Oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> it's so brutal. <laughs> I, I think it's like Carl, Carl said though, it's because the black pip lasts until the end of turn rather than yeah. the end of battle. And that's maybe something that wizards would possibly have changed in the rules. You know, they change rules in magic. And they might be like, actually, that's a bit too good. Let's tone it down. I think that's something that may have happened because until end of turn is a very powerful thing. And that's one thing you were quite key when you were analyzing archives, like, dude, this needs to be end of battle, not end of turn. Yeah. Right. And well, it actually goes back to how a lot of effects are designed. Like most of the offensive effects, like grant bold or grant plus attack or grant, um, or Grant Pierce lasts until end of turn, but all the defensive effects, such as granting t uh, temporary tough or granting plus defense, only last until the end of the battle. A and yes. it it's a weird like the game is very offensive focused to begin with because they wanted games to just be quick, half an hour affair, sit down, play a game, uh, giant robots beat each other over the head, pack it up, shake your hands, and, and move on to the next one. Um, but then they, they also create, but the, the game's not full offense because you have you have orange adding to attack and blue adding to defense. And the dichotomy between the effects that are in orange and the effects that are in blue, you'd think the blue effects would be more powerful because of how fast orange steamrolls. But it, it, it's almost the other way around where all the orange cards seem to be the best cards in the game and all the blue cards are just kind of off to the wayside pretending to try and do something, but really not. So yeah, thanks Dan. Awesome question. Um, I think Carl's already spoken about Arc Two already, so yeah, we're not allowed to talk about that anymore. <laughs> we're not allowed to be told no. Lee, you're up, dude. Awesome. So, uh, and next, uh, uh, our next question and multiple uh, again from Adam Edgmond, aka the man, one of the heads of the Hydra at Bayformers. He states for question one, what are some of the biggest challenges when it came to internal uh, collaboration during those initial months making Arcwave 1? Were some of those challenges solved or do they remain challenges? What sorts of new challenges do you see moving forward as a creator collective? Well, this is going to be throwing someone under the bus again, but one of the biggest challenges was actually wrangling in Jamie from Powered by Primus. Um, just because his, and this is no, this is no fault of Jamie, but his uh, real life causes him to not have a lot of free time. So it was always difficult to keep in uh, to keep in contact with him at times, uh, especially when there were times when we needed to get his cards updated for one reason or another, either changing a wording, changing an art, or um, actually he's the one who did uh, the art modifications for the Scorponok of Arcwave One. Um, he, he's, he basically did the coloring and uh, a lot of the, the modifications for Zarek and Scorponok. And so because of that, it was, uh, and communication is basically the biggest issue because you have, you have a group of people from across the 
uh, from across the world because you have uh, Blues on Attack over in in uh, in England with you guys. You have Matifer up in Canada, who's actually an hour ahead of me, so it's six o'clock for me right now. It's seven o'clock for him, and then you have uh, Powered by Primus, who's on the other side of the U.S. from me, so it's like two hours earlier for them than it is for me. So it's like four o'clock for them right now. Uh, and then just coordinating everyone's time, getting everyone together for meetings, and uh, just making sure everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and making sure they deliver on time. Those were definitely big challenges. Uh, we did manage to get most of them solved. Some of this, some of the stuff, it was just to, we basically just said, all right, we, we got to, we waited long enough. We got to take things into our own hands. And he was okay with it, which was great. Um, and I'm really glad that he was, uh, he didn't like hold it against us he he understood that there were things like we we wanted to him to be able to do his own things but sometimes we could he couldn't so we took it for him and we fixed it and he was still okay with the results so that that was nice um as for new challenges it, it's we're a smaller team uh than we were with wave one so that is so the communication issue isn't quite as prevalent but it's still there because again we're still in four different locate four different time zones but uh i think the biggest challenge is burnout um, and making sure that we don't overwork ourselves to the point of I don't want to do this anymore because the moment you say that it gets really hard to get back into the mindset even if you say it just once as a joke it's like but do I really want to do this anymore and so it's just making sure that you take your breaks. And that's one of the main reasons why after we released wave one last year in October we intentionally took like a three-month break just to recharge and say, all right, we're not doing anything related to Arc Wave 2. We're just relaxing. We're letting people play with the cards. And then we'll say something, hey, guess what's in the works? We're going to we're gonna drop another set in a, in, in a couple months. But for right now, it's, it's in the works. And we haven't forgotten you. We haven't abandoned the game. We just wanted to take a break to, to recharge our batteries. That's so important. And I completely empathize with that. You know, we did it on a much smaller scale and I was burnt out. It is hard work, like coordinating everything, like getting, you know, coordinating playtest games, coordinating just chats. You know, me and Lee, didn't we? We had to like coordinate to just let's catch up and actually discuss what's happening. We, we hilariously had to go some days where we were like, let's just hang out. <laughs> and not talk about anything yeah. else. Let's let's do other things. And obviously, we've we've said it multiple times, and we'll keep constantly saying it. Champions Bruv is a great game just to relax to. Like that game is legit. Um, but also, just like have some downtime. Like I've played God knows how much of certain video games and gone back into my oh, yeah. wall of like danger and go like, holy crap, is that how many I haven't played? Like wow, like. This week, I hilariously started Resident Evil 3, the remake, finally. And I love Resident Evil. And wow. that game came out seven... No, it wasn't seven years ago. It came out a while ago. And I finally got around to starting playing it. Not just because Netflix made a new kind of show, whatever. Um, it was just the fact that I was like, oh, I just want to play something different for a change. Um, but yeah, you definitely do get burnt out on this game really easy, especially as a creator as well. Uh, even as a content creator, you can get burnt out if you do the same thing over and over and over again. So you definitely need that downtime. Oh, yeah. A, a change of pace yeah. is vitally important. The moment you even think that something is starting to become tedious, you should stop what you're doing and either 
take a break and relax or do something else to reinvigorate your mind and get your mind off of whatever it was that was about to burn you out. Because the mo- again, the moment you burn out, it's really hard to get back into that feeling again. And, and it just makes things, and the longer that burnout lasts, the, the harder and harder it is. And it's the worst feeling too, because it's like, I really want to do this, but I really don't. And then just getting out of that mindset is so difficult sometimes. Mm, 100%, 100%. Absolutely. You know, it's like like Lisa, we, we've just played different games. And the, the, you know, the other night, me and Claire just sat down. We we played a game of Transformers for fun. There was what, no cameras, there was no play testing. What? We actually okay. sat down and pl- we played a just like fun. What is that in a yeah. children's card what? game? How dare you? I know, I know. <laughs> it's crazy. We actually just played for fun, and it was it was awesome. And you know, um, I think that's one of the biggest things. Just just give yourself some you time as well. Like you say, video games, even just like watching some TV like hanging out with your mates, doing something different. Go for a meal. Now we're allowed to. We're allowed to we're allowed to start doing stuff again in England. So It's true, COVID's over, boys. It is. Boris says so. <laughs> we're gonna keep bringing up Boris said so problem. <laughs> so the next question from Adam moving on uh, is what were the bi- <laughs> what were the biggest challenges when interacting with other creator groups? Were there specific challenges when collaboration was the goal? How do you see the future of cross-group collaboration taking shape where the arc is involved? Oh, that's a hard question to answer, like, effectively. Um, so I think the biggest challenge with regards to other creative groups is, I mean, if you're doing if you're doing it right, you should take pride in your creations. I made this. This is my. Uh, th- this is this is my contribution to the world. Look at me and be and be amazed. Like you should you should always take pride in what you do and what you provide to the community. And and it's okay if people don't like it. They're they're not just like you're not required to like other things. They're not required to like what you make. Um, but if they don't like it, you should take their feedback. Um, you don't have to take it. Don't take it to heart. Don't take it as like a personal attack, but take their feedback and use it to improve, and either fix what they what a sta- uh, what you've done to say, okay, well, I can see where you're coming from, and I, and or you can either say I can see where you're coming from, but I don't really agree with it, and here's why, um, or say, okay, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I, I I agree with that change. How about if I do this instead, and then change and make something else or it's a really delicate balancing act basically between because the the other problem is that when responding to feedback due to the context-free nature of text communication that is the internet and like discord and facebook it's very difficult to make a response to well first to make feedback sound like it's not just baseless praise of oh my god this is the greatest thing ever or, oh my god you're so uh, you're so amazing and it's also hard to make it uh not sound like it's a personal attack like this sucks you suck go die or this is this is terrible and you should feel bad <laughs> um so th- there's a really delicate balance between how to present feedback so that it doesn't come off as a personal attack and also how to respond to feedback that you're not, that doesn't sound like you're just uh ignoring it or def- or uh trying to deflect it I'm the first to admit that I am not perfect when it comes to this. I have uh, I have definitely had some controversial bits of feedback in my time. 
um, both given and received. And some of it I've responded to gracefully. Some of it I have, I have definitely not. It's a learning process, especially, and also it was definitely brought to a head over the past year and a half, you know, when the world was was destroyed and we were all hiding in our houses because of a deadly virus that was uh, killing people indiscriminately. You just want to try and make sure that what you're doing is the best you can do. And, it even, and if it's not the best, then try and do better the next time. No, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like feedback's very important, I think. Like you, you've got to be able to, t- you know, take it and take it without seeing it as a personal attack. Because it's very easy to, and like having delved into that environment myself, like it is very easy to take stuff personally. And and I've been given feedback when people have been. One of the hardest things I found was like you know people submit stuff or like members of the the punks would be submitting stuff, and I'd be like, yeah, that's that. You know, like how do I put this? Because like you say, text. There's no inflection. There's no voice to read. It's like a wall of text, and it's very. You've, it's really really hard. But yeah, learn to just take it. Don't take it as a personal attack. I think is vitally important, and look to how how you can respond to that, like you say, in a graceful way without taking it personally. Well, and then going on to further with uh, Adam's question with the specific challenges, um, I think the the biggest challenge is getting over the the nagging fear of, oh, this person just wants to work with me so they can steal my ideas and use it as their own. And that was, uh, and like when Adam first approached, uh, Adam approached me um, way back in August, asking to collaborate with Bayformers. And I had no idea who he was at the time. I'm like, who is this guy? Why is he asking me? I'm not a member of the ARC, or I'm not a major member of the ARC. I'm just a guy who's helping them with the wording because, like I said, I joined very late in their development cycle, so there really wasn't that much room for me to put any of my ideas into the set. I was just there to fix their templating and make sure it looks like stuff wizards would make. Uh, he messaged me out of the blue, showed me a teaser for Lost in Transit, and I'm just like, I'm not the guy you want to talk to. Please, please don't, don't try and uh, don't try and make me agree to things that I'm probably not authorized to say. Um, and, and so then we went through and we released Wave Arc Wave One, and then Adam released or the Bayformers released Wave BFA, and then we've actually started to open our dialogue, we had a meeting, we, we got down, we understood what each other stood for and where we came from, and then we actually started collaborating. But it wasn't it wasn't just a quick and done process. It was a there was definitely a oh well he's just some nobody who's trying to steal our ideas so that he can uh, he, he, so he can beat us to the punch and and, and it, getting over that mentality was probably one of the hardest parts. Because um, I, I definitely thought that, and I wouldn't be surprised if any of the other ARC members thought that at the time. But then we started to realize that, hey, we're not a monolith. We can't be a monolith if we want this game to continue. We need to open up and accept input and feedback from other groups, especially if we want to work together. Or especially if we want to continue the community, because if we just splinter the community into different factions uh, of, oh, well, I only follow this group, or I only follow that group, then the game is just going to fragment into a million different people who only care about one thing or the other, and then it's just going to stop. And, and nobody's going to want to do anything, because we're all just going to become these echo chambers until we get full of ourselves and say, that's it, I'm done, flip table. Yeah, I, you know, I completely agree that it's something that we've we've obviously invested in 
prior, even prior to the turbo revving old partners, is in invested in like collaboration and communication. You know, obviously, Lee, you you invite me to be part of the podcast, and you know, I've I've always been keen on having that dialogue. You know, I've I've followed a lot of the content creators way before I started doing stuff, and um, for me, it's a privilege to be working alongside everyone. Um, and that collaboration, and I know it's something Adam's massively passionate about as well from Bayform is, is having a community that's working towards a common goal of longevity. Because like you say, if it splinters, you know, it, it'll go. Because we lost a lot of players last year, we did. And, and I think it's important that we try and retain them, isn't it, through collaboration, making sure the cards are balanced when interacting with each other, and if there is an issue that we can change it. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think it's kind of been a, a weird, awesome blessing for us because we kind of have. We said we were going to come out with cards, and because of this podcast, and because of who Dave and me are, not to brag, but we have made friends in the arc, in ATP, in Bayformers, and we were just really blessed with having the ability to make our phase what it is without those guys. And it's been really nice for those guys to now just kind of come out. I was blindsided the other day where they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to work with these guys more and they're going to be a part of our seasons and tournaments going forward. And I was literally just like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> did I don't not. Think saw that coming. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> and was like, holy shit. Like, that's a WWE moment. Adam is... Adam is very United Nations when it comes to the community of this game in that he wants everybody to be working together he wants everybody to be collaborating he wants the creator groups um he, he wants the creator groups to not amalgamate into one unified consciousness but rather to continue doing what they're doing making cards making content for the game but respecting each other's boundaries working together to make sure that they're not breaking anything and then uh and just trying to create the best experience for the game that people can make and of course, there's always going to be uh, bits of friction and 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 things not working out uh, perfectly. But I mean, that that's what being human is. Like, there, there's always going to be disagreements. There's always going to be arguments. But there's also always going to be working together and friendships and 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 kumbaya and, and all that other fun stuff. It is true. Uh, I, I I love it though. I I'm I can say just for me, uh, it's like blessed to have like a friendship with others in other groups, and it's really cool to have working collaboration. Um, and it's really cool like uh, that you people you look up to kind of give you praise which is kind of like what we were talking about earlier and you're kind of like oh shit really oh thanks and it didn't really make me <laughs> feel good that I'm doing something right and that's kind of cool really crazy in a way. so this is the final part of Adam's question and uh, this is name a specific crossplay interaction you have you hate or have hated in the past and then name a specific crossplay interaction that has delighted you or surprised you. Before we, so my question is, hate is a strong word. Just say I really, really, really don't like you. Disliked. Yeah, disliked. Hate's a yeah, really strong word. That's the thing. <laughs> I don't actually hate any crossplay interaction. I, I am a okay. So besides being a filthy casual, I am also a degenerate combo player at heart. I play Daring Escape. What do you expect from me? Um, I play a Springer deck that can activate three OAs on turn three. Um, so I am well accustomed to crazy over-the-top combos, and I love seeing those kinds of things. 
Um, basically, now granted, there are always unintended interactions um, that are too powerful, but I don't hate that kind of inter I don't hate when that happens. I'm just like, okay, that's probably a little too powerful. We should either adjust that or we probably shouldn't allow those two cards to be played together in the same format. I have a very high tolerance for how powerful effects can be in the game. Um, I mean, I kind of have to be being that I'm a combo player and it would be really hypocritical of me for me to not like other people playing combo against me. But, um, like, when I, see, when I see these kinds of unexpected interactions, I'm like, wow, that's really neat. Um, th now, granted, sometimes it'll be, wow, that's really overpowered and it probably shouldn't be allowed. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, uh, I, I'm not going to say I hate it. I'm, I'm just going to say, hey, these two things we came up with separately work really well together. That seems really neat. Let's see if, let's see if we can make it further or make it uh, less broken. Or take it a step further, or make it less broken. And like that—that's my stance on it. I think like the more we work together, the more often these things will happen, and they're not a bad thing as long as they don't ruin the experience. Yeah, that's it. As long as it doesn't inflict a negative play experience, then I think you know, powerful's good, broken's bad. Yes. So yeah. and that's that. That's how you can sort of balance things out and adam's doing an admirable admirable job in in the bayformers encounters because um he he is cherry picking stuff that should or shouldn't be allowed together like um i know the upcoming account four has got some some art cards that whilst i love those cards are pretty naughty like we already touched on tetronite and uh, triplating together is naughty yes yes and actually um what surprised me was that he banned orbital command the Bayformers card and not Specialist Countdown, the Arc card. Um, so, because uh, Orbital Command is a one-star stratagem for uh, Captain Omega that lets you get uh, Bayformers Countdown at the beginning of the game. And so he's saying, no, that's not allowed. We're letting the Arc version of Countdown play instead. And that surprised me. Because mm -hmm. um, yeah. normally he curates his ban list to favor the Bayformers side of the interaction. Um, but this time he, he favored the arc side, which, I mean, I'm not complaining because, you know, Countdown's my boy. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I love my little scamp. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to see, isn't it? It's nice to see yes, that he's it, encu it encouraging that sort of like, well, collaboration and crossplay. Um, encouraging that, you know, because Encounters 1, 2, and 3 have all had the Orbital Command as legal. So it's quite nice to say, for this one, it's not. And you can try out something different, which is really cool. Right. Moving on then to the next question. We have Peter Lawson. He says, if there are any erratas or balancing updates coming for Arc Wave 1 cards, uh, there are a couple of five-star characters and a battle card with five in its text that come to mind that I find do super powerful things that can make some games feel very unbalanced. So Peter's just wondering, is there any erratas coming? Well, um, I can say for certain, yes. Uh, like I said before, we have heard the feedback about Rekkar Stratagem and we are taking steps to correct it. Um, there is also uh, Bumblebee uh, has gotten a lot of feedback, uh, both internally and externally. And he is also uh, under the magnifying glass. Um, I can't I, I can't say for certain exactly what's being changed because um, that's still in in the works. But 
they're definitely being brought down to a more appropriate power level, and and, a, and we think a much more fair power level. I'm pretty sure that that battle card is probably death to the weak, and um, that one, that one I haven't heard anything about, so I, I don't I, I don't see it. I know what I know what card it is. It it, it starts of root and ends in zillions. Oh, um, that one, yes. Um, so that one has also been discussed. Uh, the exact. Uh, what we plan on doing with it just yet, I'm not entirely sure. I, I do, if we do change it, it probably will go down a little bit. But I, like I said, I can't, I can't set anything in stone for that, because um, that one, that one's not anything I've seen any discussions about just yet. Yeah, it's it, like with regards to the other two, I think they're fair, fair comments. Like uh, Redguard Stratagem is very, very strong and it's open to abuse. Um, which is obviously not what what Nick was intending, I don't think. Um, and the same with 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 Matt's Bumblebee. Like he he Autobots needed a stellar five star card. They really did. Um, but the card advantage you can net is insane. Yes, uh, and so we we we're making adjustments to tone that down significantly. Yeah, which is cool. A resilience it can do silly things. It can do silly things. Um, but equally, Titans and Combiners in particular really needed that yeah. help because they were uh, almost some of them, apart from, say, Metroplex and Fortmax, the others were almost unplayable. Right. And, and the thing about Resilience is that it's it, it has the same problems as Triplating in that um, it's very bad if you flip it because it's a green. Now, granted, it's a green, so you can get it when you need it, but it's only a green, which means that it screws with your battle flips. And... So combiners have to uh, have to fight for cars uh, for deck space with both resilience and their enigmas. That's six blank cards effectively in their deck if you're running a playset of each, which p makes it very difficult to justify any other mono green or blank icon cards in your deck. Um, and even even Captain Omega, uh, three resilience and three triplanes. That's effectively six blank cards in your deck. That's probably a blue base. And if you miss, if you stuff a defense lift with Omega, that's a really bad thing to happen. Yeah, it's a rough turn. I, you know, I think, I think, you know, it's definitely caused some commotion. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see where you guys take it um, and uh, what what's implemented. And obviously, it's still in, in the works, guys, so, so Carl hasn't really got too many answers. So, good question, Pete. That, that's Aussie as well, by the way, guys. Turbo Rubbing Old Punk. So this is from Brian from Wreck and Roll, and it says, You've used existing cards as a starting point for helping others with wording on custom cards. What would you? What would be your advice for someone seeking to create an entirely new? As, a, as, a, as an example, let's say they want to create mini cons for the game, a la Transformers Armada. So, um, actually, he pointed out uh, the best thing to do is figure out exactly what you want to do, and then look to cards that have similar effects. Because um, a lot of a lot of templating issues can be solved just by looking at similar cards. Now, granted, not everything translates one to one. You're going to have to make some adjustments based on what you're doing. Uh, for example, if you want, uh, depending on how you want certain triggers to happen, like do you uh, to take a look at an art card, Cosmic Rust Cannon. Um, for example, if you use Special or Sergeant Sound Blaster from Wave Four to pull a Cosmic Rust Cannon from your scrap pile, he doesn't take any damage at all 
because the 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 initial attacks trigger is what does the damage to the character and then sets up the end of battle attack uh, trigger to either scrap an upgrade or do another damage to that character and since sound blaster bypasses that initial attack trigger he doesn't have to deal with the secondary part of that effect I asked you that question this week, didn't I? I was like, Carl, how does this work? <laughs> You've played it against I me, did. Dave, and I've been like, wow, that's really good. That's incredibly strong. But then also when we had Wes on the thing, Wes did say uh, it was kind of designed so we saw Sound Blaster again yeah. on the field. And I mean, you could do the same thing with Sound Blaster using, or in, in Watsi only cards, using Fusion Borer or Crystal of Power. It's the exact same interaction. It, it's, just, uh, it's just a different card that does it. So what about what about creating an entirely new mechanic? Obviously, you guys introduced Horde. Um, Bayformers went crazy and introduced a whole faction. Um, obviously, ATP have introduced new keywords and stuff as they've they've gone on. So, what was what's your advice for creating something totally new? So the the important thing is to figure out: is this a static ability, a triggered ability, or a replacement effect? And then base your wording on that. So, for example, bold is a static ability. This character flips X extra battle cards. It's always true, so it should be worded as such. Um, Horde is a static ability because it modifies how or it just says you can have three characters with, or you can have X characters with the same name on your starting team. It's just something that's true. Um, but then you have uh, then you have safeguard, which is a replacement effect. It stops damage more. Than, or it stops a character from taking more than three damage. So if this character would take more than three, it takes three instead. Um, and then a triggered ability, you have revenge and bounty. They are well, revenge specifically is a triggered ability that triggers when the character is KO'd. Bounty is different, and that's a whole another can of worms that I I don't think we have the time to go into. <laughs> there's lots of stuff you can get inspired from existing mechanics isn't yes there? try and make try and 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 my advice would be if you're making something new play test a lot right you want you want to figure out how you want it to apply to the game whether you want it to be something that's always true something that reacts to an event that happened or something that replaces something else and then build around build the wording around that using cards with similar effects um now, you're not always going to be able to get a perfect wording. And when that happens, don't be afraid to ask for help. There are always, like, crowdsource your ideas. There's a million people who play this game. Well, maybe not a million active people, but there, there's, there's always people who play the game who will be more than willing to help with getting something to work. Um, like, if with getting an idea to work, because ideas are what make the game continue the ideas to the characters you make the ideas of the mechanics you make the abilities the battle cards the stratagems if if people didn't have ideas and weren't willing to ask for help to make them work no new cards would be created and then the game would really die because people would stop playing it and a game only dies when no one wants to play it completely that's spot on like it only dies if you let it and, and it's got to have development and growth and i think obviously what you guys did with horde what adam did with a whole new faction and i know some of the stuff he's got lined up for for bfb and i know you guys are looking at um, introducing more stuff to the game like it it creates an interesting new way to play the game so it's not necessarily a bad thing it just needs to be fully tested like say shout for help if you need it so this is Brian's last part. So Lee, you're up, dude. Oh man, you had to leave me with this tricky question. Okay, cool. <laughs> Since a billion 
and one people mispronounce your internet codename as Technomageness. No, just just saying is all. Uh, can you explain where Technomagnus came from? Like, that, however you pronounce that name, because I can't pronounce <laughs> that it. That was the perfect question for you to have. I know. I, I think Brian <laughs> purposely put that in there because I mispronounce everything. Love you, Brian. Just saying is all. All right. So the the name Technomagus, uh, actually, it has it has its origin in a couple of different things. The main point is um, the old World of Darkness uh, role-playing game, uh, Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf... Uh, whatever its subtitle was, I can't remember. But um, there was, in Mage the Ascension, there was a faction of characters known as the Technomages, which I had no, uh, I saw the name and I thought, wow, that's really cool. Um, I, I like that name. Um, uh, but I had no idea that they had actually nothing to do with technology. Uh, there, there are this whole different evil faction of nonsense that I don't, that I don't really, that I never really learned enough about to care about. But I just really liked the name. Uh, anyway, that's where that's part of where the name comes from. The it, it, then you split it into the two halves, techno and magus. So techno, short for technology. When I was younger, I was very much into computers, like learning all about the internals and how how computers work. And I and I knew a lot, not as much as uh, not as much as I thought I knew. Um, and, and so I chose techno as uh, for technology, and then magus is the singular form of magi which is a wise man or a sage. Uh, and at the time, I was really full of my... Being that I was, like, in my teenage years, I was really full of myself because I was like, oh, I'm this awesome magic player, and uh, Mage, uh, Magus is a, master sa is a master magician, so I'll call myself Technomagus because I'm, a, I'm really good with computers and I'm really good with magic and put them together, and that's how, that's how I got the name. There we go. Awesome. There we go. I, and I got it right at the start, I, and Lee got it I, wrong. Well, it's perfectly fine. I honestly thought it was <laughs> Magnus, because I honestly thought it was just really into techno music and obviously Ultra Magnus, but I was wrong. I have I have gotten that a number of times. Like, uh, one person at an old message board I used to go to oh, would always call me Rock Magus, uh, because he, as a play on techno, uh, the techno music genre, so he would call me Rock Magus, because I actually really like rock and heavy metal uh, for my music preferences. I, I, techno is hit or miss for me. Um, but I always go by Technomagus and, and shorten to Techno, and, and so people always thought that it would that it meant the music style, not the not technology, and and I never bothered connecting them because you know it really wasn't worth it. I find I enjoy life a lot more when I don't correct people over the the minor misconceptions, as long as it's not like taking something horribly out of character. Whatever, it's, it's ha if it makes you happy, I'm not going to stop you. It's fine. I'm just going to call you Carl because I can pronounce that. <laughs> That's fine too. <laughs> oh, it's true though. I, I butcher names on a regular basis. I speak the proper English. You know. The Queen's English. The Queen's English. So thanks, Brian. So we're on to the last question. Um, these these were this this came in today. And this is from Susie. Oh, the, the best cars player. The in best Canada, cars right? player in Canada. <laughs> this is from Susie. So it's a three-parter, very short and sweet, but first one was, hey, Carl, what's your favorite food? Um, so my favorite food is, well, I actually have two. Uh, I, I really enjoy pizza, um, and uh, specifically pepperoni pizza. Um, and then I also really enjoy a good classic uh, steak, potatoes, and broccoli meal. Uh, steak, baked potato, and, and steamed broccoli crowns. That's like my favorite dinner. Um, I, I don't, uh, I don't really have, I don't really cook that much, so I 
whenever I have it, I, it's always eating out or, or at my parents for like a dinner, a birthday dinner or a holiday dinner or whatever. So, it, so it's a, it's a rare treat when I get to have that. Usually it's just pizza or I make myself pasta or soup or whatever. I'm a very, I'm very simple when it comes to the food that I eat. Um, I don't really care for like super over elaborate, uh, like food. Um, I'm very boring when it comes to getting food to eat. I'm also a very, I'm also a very finicky eater, um, and I've been trying to get over that uh, over the past couple of years. But th there are times where I, I just can't. I, I've had some bad experiences with certain types of food when I was younger, and so I just turn my nose up at certain things if they don't look right or smell right to me. And and it's something that I've been trying to break the habit of for a long, for a while now, because uh, I'm 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 38 and I can count the number of unique foods that I've had on one, probably one hand. It's a shell that I definitely needed to break myself out of. It's, it's you know, my, my, my eldest, he is the fussiest eater in the world. And we're trying, like, you know, we when he was younger, we were like, you know, trying to make him eat different stuff. And I was just like, if you if you make an issue of it, then it will, it will possibly live with him forever. So it's very, you know, like, everyone's fussy. I'm fussy. Like, everyone has their own little foibles and Food, food, and you chose a really good one: pepperoni pizza. That is the bomb. It's a pretty, pretty good shout. I'm not gonna lie on that front. That's a very good one. So, Lee, second part of Susie's question. Okay, Susie says, "Has becoming a designer changed how you feel about the game?" It has not changed me in the least. I still love this game. I still want to play it. I don't always have the time to do it, but I'm. I've always been coming up with ideas for it, and I've always been. I've always been a tinkerer at heart. So. Um, uh, it hasn't changed me in the least. I, I treat the game the exact same way I treated it when I first started playing in that I try to find fun combinations and, and decks to build and play and I just want to have fun playing the game and I want people to enjoy the stuff that I provided for it. That's it. Short, sweet and simple. Like it. And the last of all, what do you think people will be most excited about for Arc Wave 2? Oh, well, um... How about I show you something? What? What? <laughs> Drum roll. Wait, wait a minute. What? One second. One second. What? <laughs> what? I have I have about. a card and a half that I want to show you. So, as I said, Arc Wave Two is focused on combiners, and we haven't forgotten the Wave Two combiners from the uh, from the original game. I have planned a set of stratagems, one for each of the original Enigma combiners that for a small cost of um, that give you a minor detriment at the beginning of the game. So for example here uh, are reckless endangerment for the Stunicons, uh, specifically Motormaster. Uh, you have to lose a card at random from your hand. I mean, Stunicons can draw cards pretty easily, so it's not really that big of a drawback, but uh, what it does is, if you combine with your Enigma, it gives Menasaur a stat boost, including that one extra health that he had that he never got that the other three five wide combiners did. Um, so it it turns your Menasaur from a six thirty five two to an eight thirty six three, and that extra that extra little bit of attack and de defense and health really matters. Uh, it, it really can help keep him alive because Menasaur doesn't, or the Stunicons don't really have the damage mitigating tools that the other, uh, that the the aerial bots or the Predacons have because they don't have a they don't have a brave dude to really shunt damage into or deflect attacks. 
So, Menasaur himself is actually really strong. That two actions a turn is nothing to sneeze at. He just needed a little push. But there will be times where you won't always have your Enigma. So the, the Stratagem also gives you a second option, where if you have all five Stunicons in bot mode, whether they're on the battlefield or in the KO area, and you attack with one of them, you can flip the Stratagem, foregoing Menace or Stat Boost, and then combine them without the Enigma. So you will have an uh, so you'll have an untapped Menasaur attacking your opponent. So that way you're not forced into an all-out attack the next turn, and you'll be, or if your opponent is tapped out when you do this, you get two swings with your Menasaur instead of just one. What? That I'm is, done. that I'm is done. so I'm done. cool. I'm done right now. This is, this is insane. <laughs> Obviously, is this subject to change? Because this seems amazing. <laughs> Each of the six stratagems are going to have the the minor starter game drawback and they're going to have the uh the once per game enigma free combine at the cost of the bonus but they'll all have different bonuses based on which are that will be appropriate to the combiner that's cool i i like it because it's 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 helpful for like there's nothing worse than when you're playing your combiner and your opponent goes oh i've got chrome dime Oh, buy, buy, uh, buy Enigma for the rest of the game. <laughs> or they yes. counter espionage, or and that, that can literally break the back. So I think having a little bit of a safety blanket is quite nice. That's good. I like it. That's just blown my mind a little bit. I'm excited. <laughs> so now, oh, wow. the other thing I want to show you is we have currently four Enigma combiners planned for Arcwave 2. And that other image in the chat that I sent you is one of them. Specifically the one that I worked on. Look at that artwork. Look at the what artwork. The... I'm just going to smile. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so, Defensor, the ultimate bulwark. Um, so he is a 7.45-1. Uh, I designed him and the Projectobots to be a, a more defensive, heal-focused team, but also focused on being multicolored. So you're not just going to play a blue shell turtle forever uh, deck with them. Though you could probably get away with an with a more orange focused build with them. Uh, but he, so he's a 7.45-1. When he's combined, he has a mini resilience. He repairs four damage from himself. And then also, when he defends and flips at least three rows, that's one white, one orange, one black, and one blue. He has a built-in force field that says he can't take more than five damage. To represent his ability to, he, he's a protector. He's a guardian. He doesn't yeah, want sense. to, or he wants to, he wants to stop other people from, or he wants to get in the way and prevent the the big damage and whatnot. Um, he's also a specialist. I wanted to have a combiner that could go multi-tool into Master Sword. Naughty. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so funny. Oh my god. That's, also, that's brilliant. One other thing that I want to point out, he's thirty-five stars. I was just about to say that. I've just looked at the star cost. Yeah, so you a... you have a love for Sentinels, don't you? Is this kind of like in the same sort of vein? It is. There is some similarities to the Sentinels and the Dinobots. Um, I'm not going to spoil how they work exactly, but I did want to have a combiner that cheats the star, the star limit in, in a way. And you'll have to wait to see the rest of the Projectobots to, to find out exactly how it works. But I think I, I think it'll be unique enough that people will enjoy it. 
That is so cool. That is so Specialist cool. Specialist combiner, that is scary. I, I don't care what he does. Look at the picture. That's badass. You can thank Mike for that. He, he's the one who put that together for me um, with the, the Combiner Wars Defensor art on that uh, Cybertron background. Yeah, he's a legend. Say, yeah. Big shout out to Mike because he, he helped Phase 1 look boss as well. So yeah, that is that is an outstanding piece of work. I'm sold. Yeah, was it out? <laughs> uh can't say for certain because we're it's still it it's still in work it will it will be out when it's ready um i want i personally would love to get it out by the end of the year but i don't want to make any promises and i want to make sure that when we do get it out it is the best it possibly can be because there there is so much stuff as i was saying we are we are doing a lot of we're giving the combiners a lot of love there's uh the the stratagems for the enigma combiners we even have some some stuff planned for dreadwing to give him some support um and then we have some old friends and new new unexpected combiners that people i think will be very delighted to see what what a way to end the q a session i'm, I'm gobsmacked i literally am gobsmacked Carl, th that was amazing. Defensor, <laughs> are you freaking kidding me? Like, and I always give him shit because I don't really like him as a combiner, but that's a bad ability. How can you not? Cool. How can you not like that? Now you've seen that picture. Like, yeah, I'm playing that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just tell you now. Like, Dave, you already know what I'm gonna say. I'm more of, you know, the other kind of like faction. Me, 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 don't worry, Carl. I got you back. That's awesome. That's it's, it's amazing. He has got Brett the Hitman heart eyes, so I might be turned a little <laughs> bit, but they're not red. Just saying is all. Just saying. There's definitely no rumble. Look, Star Scream. Megatron is strong. He's merciless. He can't be beaten, and you'll never be our leader. was it susie thank you susie what, what a oh that was that was a side swipe and a half no oh i see what oh, you did there oh, for oh, the oh. best cars player in canada love it, oh, love yeah, it. yeah absolutely love it. carl thank you so much for coming on tonight thank you for answering everyone's questions it has been a marathon absolutely i i've uh, this was a lot of fun i'm glad you guys had me on and uh i'm definitely hey anytime i'm more than willing to do this again as long as you guys can stay up late enough to answer three hours, three and a half hours of questions again. <laughs> it happens every time, dude. It so it does, every time. It, it is literally every time. Ro roping ourselves in going, like, oh, it's going to be a small show. We knew it was going to be a big show because we, we saw, obviously, all the, the community's questions. But by God, I'm, I'm still, I'm speechless from the spoilers. <laughs> that's insane. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. So, Wow. Yeah, how do we end this? Oh yeah, I know how we end this, Dave. Normally, don't we? We just we have our we have our traditional goodbye, don't we? We do. So uh, it's a goodbye from me, Lee, and a goodbye from me, Dave, and a goodbye from me, Carl. Wait, see, he listens. He knows. He knows. He knows. <laughs> guys, if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a like. A like is much appreciated. Comment below. Let us know. Until next time, guys. Take care. Have a good one. And remember, Transformers is the best game ever created. So go out there and play it. Until next time. One shall stand, one shall fall.